and good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, whatever the case may be on this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition live tonight. Welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn where, well, almost anything can happen. Tonight, we have an extraordinary show um, that is all built around this incredibly current mystery of the balloons or the objects or using the parlance of the Pentagon and the White House. The UFOs. I mean, it's interesting the way, you know, the conversation politically, they tried to reframe the conversation and get rid of decades of history, like almost a century of history of UFOs, unidentified flying objects. And ultimately, when the you know what hits the you know what, they come back to that old terminology. Now, one of our panelists tonight has a small nitpick because she believes, and I think it's with some reasonable physics basis, that maybe we're not dealing with objects at all. And she's going to describe, you know, what she thinks uh, by that. And this afternoon, we got a little bit of evidence in favor of her model, which I must say is not uh, the run of the mill. None of our panelists, as we have on the show, are run of the mill. They are each uh, kind of superstars in their own field, and they've been at this conversation, at these investigations for a very long time, and they bring an extraordinary uh, panoply of unique talents and background and expertise. So let me get started. Um, I wanted to start tonight with the current update on the Turkey and Syrian earthquake. The death toll has now passed 46 thousand in Syria and Turkey with most of the reported deaths something like 40,000 plus in Turkey and a little over 5,000 so far in Syria and of course those are provisional numbers um, they haven't begun to dig through all this rubble because it's literally thousands of square miles that was affected by two back-to-back -back earthquakes a 7.8 and a 7.4 and those are in the range of nuclear weapons buried underground in terms of shocks and, you know, tremors and things collapsing and fragile architecture just falling down and building codes being what they are or what they are not, et cetera. So the, this is a horrendous death toll. But that is not why I've actually put this as our number one item, because as tragic as it is, there's nothing at the moment that any of us can do except uh, give as much help. Um, rescue facilities and the Red Cross and the uh, Catholic Charities and all of those established institutions which are trying against significant political headwinds, particularly there in uh, northern Syria, to get aid to these incredibly uh, desperate people. I mean, for the 46,000 who have died, there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, who are displaced, who have no homes now, that are basically living in, in – um, you know, refugee tents and centers and they, they, you know, it's the living who desperately need the help. So anything you can do, I would strongly recommend that you uh, uh, contact through the Internet, the appropriate agencies and 
give whatever you can. Money is fungible. Sending goods, sending canned goods, sending clothing, etc. That's really it clogs the system because you, they need the funds, which are you know fungible, meaning they can be spent in a variety of needs, and they know what they need, and so the money is the most effective way of helping in these extraordinary crises. Um, the reason that I wanted to mention this, in addition to the obvious humanitarian crisis, is because it's now 12 days past the earthquake. That's something like 288 hours. And it is said, and you can easily search or Google this, that the window, the magic window, uh, remember they say in an accident, the golden hour is an hour. Well, in an earthquake, the golden period is about the first day. If there are people trapped in pockets under, you know, leaning concrete and all that, where there's air and they were not crushed, whatever, you need to reach them in that first 24 hours, give or take, or else the probability of people surviving because of dehydration, because of cold, because of, uh, uh, you know, the environmental conditions. They're totally in the dark. They probably can't hear anything. They don't know if there's anybody else alive. And sometimes they don't know whether they're alive. And if they're in intact form, in other words, if some limb has not been crushed by parts of the building, their nominal lifespan buried in that kind of rubble is about a day to two days, 24 to 48 hours. It is now 12 days, 288 hours and counting, and the rescuers are still finding and pulling out people who are alive. Not only are they alive, but they're in extraordinarily good condition. Now, some they pulled out are part of family groups, some who died because of injuries and others who were surviving. But they brought out a baby, I think, this morning and reunited uh, her with her her, her surviving uh, family because her father and mother were, were killed in the, in the uh, earthquake. But she somehow survived, and 12 days later, she's alive, she's healthy, and they're basically reunited her with extended family. This is extraordinary. This should not be happening. This ranks up there with miracles. Or, in the parlance of this show and our research, is this not possibly due to the fact that the background physics, the hyperdimensional physics, which modulates everything in our reality, according to the work that we have done, our research, the models, the papers, etc., is it possible that the focus of so many people from all over the world on these survivors is literally doing something to change their metabolism in a way that has allowed them to survive. Now, you know that there's going to be nobody in the mainstream that's going to take this seriously. There aren't going to be any tests done. There'll be cursory, you know, examinations. Who knows where those records will go? But if there's some researcher out there that would like to systematically look into this because we're now so far past that magic window of a day or two that it it bears extraordinary attention and extraordinary research because either it's that 
we're looking at a moving terrestrial consciousness miracle or the change of the background physics has so changed these people's metabolisms that they in fact are able to survive far longer than the standard medical journals and the standard texts and the rescue manuals and all that would have us believe. There is something extraordinary besides this catastrophic, horrible tragedy of almost 50,000 dead that is ongoing right before our eyes. And I'm hoping we can put this on the record so someone somewhere when things kind of settle down and people can look at longer term research, someone begins to dig into this because we're approaching 300 hours and there still are people alive. This, according to everything we think we know, and all the manuals and all the documented history, this should not be happening, and yet it is. And not just one or two cases, but dozens and dozens of people over the last week have been pulled out, more than dozens. I've lost count. It is literally a scientific miracle, and it deserves to be researched. Item number two, many, many years ago when the show was just starting, uh, remember um, uh, President Carter uh, publicly announced that he had discovered that he had this incredibly, awfully fatal brain cancer of an incredibly rapid and vericiously, you know, catastrophic type. And then everybody started paying attention, including this show, and we did a couple of uh, consciousness experiments that's back when we were on arts network and we had a much larger audience at that time given arts background and expertise and visibility and things changed now of course the doctor said oh it's the new medication it's a experimental drug i forget what the name of the drug was but he's now 98 and it was announced this evening that uh after several short trips to the hospital um uh, this this week, uh, certainly in the last 24 to 48 hours, he has decided to return home and be placed under hospice care because apparently the um, prognosis for Jimmy Carter's longevity is not very good. But again, if you hold him in your thoughts, given the extraordinary events documented worldwide going on in Turkey, is it time to say goodbye to Jimmy Carter? Maybe not. Maybe all it takes is enough people focusing, like people are focusing on Turkey, to change what most people would think to be the implacable laws of medicine and physics. Maybe with these examples, they're not as implacable as one might think. Now, in that vein, uh, when I bring on uh, one of our guests this morning, David Sarita, we're going to have a conversation about the physics. As David has noted something very interesting about the kind of backdrop to all the events that are occurring in this time frame. And I'll give you a clue. It has to do with the physics and something that the mainstream has measured, has had lots and lots of uh, uh, media coverage of, and no one in the mainstream seems to understand what it might portend. Well, David and I might have a clue 
And we're going to be talking about that in connection with this bizarre sequence of balloon and uh, UFO events, which have captivated everybody from coast to coast and all around the world. So speaking of which, what I've done tonight is I've assembled a kind of a panoply of news stories over the last couple of weeks, uh, items three and four, five, six, and seven, and eight. And let me see if there's a nine. Uh, okay, nine is nine is there, but it's not totally relevant just yet. So if you want to kind of catch up, if you've been, you know, having a picnic under a rock somewhere in the last two weeks and have no idea what we're talking about, um, it began with the uh, appearance over Montana of a 200-foot-tall, 2,000-pound uh, payload Chinese balloon, which was identified very quickly from uh, close-up U-2 passages at the 60,000-foot altitude of the balloon as it sailed across the country uh, to be a Chinese spy balloon, complete with solar panels and antennas and something like 2,000 pounds of structure and electronics. In other words, in the parlance of the time, it was something loaded for bear. And it drifted all across the country. The president and the uh, uh, U.S. military decided for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is if you shot it down over land, uh, something that weighs, you know, 2,000 pounds and is relatively fragile, as it's falling from 60,000 feet, it will not stay as one object. It will fragment and you will have thousands of pieces, any one of which falling out of the sky on someone or someone's property could do personal damage, could start fires, could collapse buildings. So you could have a range of catastrophes on the ground if you shot it down, even in an area which is relatively isolated and sparsely inhabited, because these things do not fall straight down in one little tiny heap. They fragment and the fragments then are blown by the winds over a very large area, which can encompass tens or even hundreds of square miles. Um, and so the prudence was to wait until the balloon went offshore. And then uh, the U.S. Navy uh, took it down with an F-22 and a Sidewinder missile. And then they collected all the pieces from about uh, seven miles offshore in around 50 feet of water, and they've now been analyzing it assiduously at the FBI labs at Quantico and many of the other high-tech labs that the federal government maintains in other agencies, and they have been kind of leaking out various details of what the balloon um, told them when they could literally pick up and begin to look at closely the pieces. But as you'll see from going through all those news stories, just a few days later over Alaska, over a very picturesque place called Dead Horse, Alaska, I saw one mainstream reporter who said um, uh, she works for the New York Times. Her name is Helen Cooper, and she's a defense reporter. And she said, I'm desperately trying to get my editor to send me to Alaska so I can, you know, file a story marked Dead Horse, Alaska. Anyway, it's near Prudhoe Bay where the oil well drilling and all the environmental controversy has been going on for many decades. And the U.S. Uh, Air Force, uh, again with another F-22, shot down a small object 
the officials did not call it a balloon. They called these things literally, both at the Pentagon and even at the White House for a while, unidentified flying objects. And like a few days after the spy balloon off the East Coast, off Prudhoe Bay, they shot down something called an object, not a balloon, with another high-tech aircraft and a very high-tech expensive missile. And then a day later, over the Yukon in uh, Canada, um, Sergeant Preston and Yukon King, they shot down another object, very similar. And then a day later, at a much lower altitude of 20,000 feet, as opposed to 40,000 for these two previous objects, again, not termed officially balloons, even though they kind of floated and hung in midair and did not do anything. Um, they shot down a third object at around 20,000 feet, and that making a total of four shoot-downs in eight days, and everybody around the world went nuts. And the bulk of our program this morning is going to be about what is really going on, because for the first time in peacetime, and this is on the record, we, the U.S. military, aggressively shot down a balloon over the territorial United States. Never happened. Never happened during World War II with the Japanese balloons that were sent over to start fires. Never happened during the Korean War. Didn't happen during the Cold War. Didn't happen during uh, any of the, uh, you know, Vietnam or Korea. In other words, nothing has ever happened before like this. And in peacetime, within the space of slightly over a week, we've now shot down four objects, three of which are totally, even as of tonight, not identified. And it looks like that we're not going to because, and the last item I have, which is number eight, um, the U.S. government has decided whether there be balloons or UFOs, they have called off the search for the remains, the debris of these last three objects, these last three unknowns, these last three very mysterious objects. And it's bizarre that our official posture has been up until, you know, a couple of days ago. Now apparently it's been being reassessed that we shoot first and ask questions later. So given that nothing about this makes sense, the cover stories, the bringing of a UFO interagency group into the White House finally from the Pentagon to decide what the policy will be because one of the theories is that uh, the Alaska, I'm sorry, the Yukon balloon was really a balloon. It was launched by a uh, Illinois hobby club that basically lofts small balloons to do research uh, with ham radio and GPS and all that. And it cost them between 12 bucks and 50 bucks to send the balloon up. And so the Air Force spent $400,000, a uh, Sidewinder missile, to shoot it down. Well, anybody who knows anything about this realizes that the cost-benefit ratio of half a million bucks to shoot down something worth 50 really isn't very useful or efficacious or um, it's going to go on for very long. 
which opens up all other kinds of questions which we're going to deal with as we proceed through the morning. So we're now about uh, five minutes to the bottom of the hour. Let me introduce and give by way of background um, our, our first guest, who is going to be Robert Stanley. Robert Stanley has been a guest on the other side of midnight many times. He's the author of two groundbreaking books, Close Encounters on Capitol Hill, dealing with UFOs photographed and seen over the U.S. Capitol, and Covert Encounters in Washington, D.C., which is an extension of more data and more evidence compiled by his, you know, at least 10 years, if not more, of research. His passionate pursuit of both modern and ancient mysteries has what has impelled Robert to travel to something like 58 countries in 50 plus years. His quest for unique ideas and information have led him to research and write about many controversial topics. His ongoing investigations have been featured on network television, radio, print, on the internet, and he was the editor of the Unicus magazine. Uh, there's more of his bio there on the other side of midnight, but before the break, I want him to say a few words because, frankly, the last time the mainstream paid any attention to UFOs over Washington was during the famous flyover uh, in the week of July 20th back in 1952, and as your two books have documented, this has been going on consistently all the way up to the present. So the official posture by the Pentagon that, oh, we didn't know there was a lot of unknown aerial stuff up there until we changed the radar filters is frankly, in my opinion, a bunch of crap. Robert, welcome to the other side. Always a pleasure. In 1952, President Truman issued a shoot on site order uh, because they were not just <laughs> coming into the controlled airspace of Washington, D.C. They were actually um, surveilling a lot of the military bases on the east, uh, eastern seaboard, which um, uh, and also the mil just like we have with the Tic Tac videos uh, of San, San Diego, the Navy was being encountered, you know, recently, uh, relatively recently. Those those things back in the '52, the uh, a carrier fleet was actually being surveilled for days mm. out in the Atlantic. They didn't fire on them then, at least not officially. I don't. Uh, maybe they did, but they, that's not part of the historic record. Um, it's very, very controversial it, that they would actually fire on anything that's over Washington D.C. because of the collateral damage, as you described with the Chinese balloon. Uh, the other thing is, allegedly, it, something was shot down. It was more like a drone in '52. And that um, the the wreckage or the material was sent up to, I think his name was Wilbert Smith up in Canada. Right, he was the magnet guy. There was exotic qualities to the metal or the fragments because apparently they didn't get the whole drone. They only knocked pieces of it off. These these objects, and obviously they're they're more than one shape one more than one style now when you um, say drone you're not talking about like a quadcopter from now you're talking no, about no, 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 some remotely I mean, piloted object that looked kind of saucer shaped but operated small. completely differently yeah it's small and it's small like a drone hmm. i guess is what i meant to say uh and i mean it was too small to be piloted so right. it had to be a drone of some kind computer control what computer controlled 
Yes. Yes, or possibly artificial intelligence. I don't know. That would be um, a computer, wouldn't it? <laughs> that's kind of a little more advanced than just a standard remote control, if that's what we're talking about. Because th that's one of the, the common themes I find about these objects is that they tend to behave as though they are intelligent or intelligently controlled, but a lot of times they're performing maneuvers or they're simply too small. Well, have you heard have of boxes. the concept of Waldo's? Does that ring a bell with you? No. Waldo's was a term invented by Robert Heinlein of a remotely operated technology that was basically somehow hooked into a human nervous system, so it became an extension of a human, but it was really robotic with nobody living inside, but it was remotely controlled by human consciousness. So we could be looking at something like that, except as opposed to human consciousness. Yeah, some an sort of alien, interface. An alien yeah, interface, could, yeah. Yeah, they did a movie about that. I think uh, it was Clint uh, Eastwood, the Firefox. Oh, yeah, Firefox. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, sure, the, anything's possible. The point is, though, that, that we were already shooting at them back as far back as 52, and I really shouldn't be laughing about it other than the fact that um, it makes – I just – Yeah, but know. back in 52, we knew nothing. We were dumb you-know-what. I thought that order had been countermanded at some point between 52 – and 2022. Well, I'm sure it was because it was only for, you know, at the time, because you know, the way Daryl Sims described it to me, because he had worked in, um, let's see, a MP prior to becoming a CIA operative. Um, he, he claims the people he talked to said that they thought Washington, D.C. was being invaded. And they did have anti-aircraft guns that were on the back of uh, carryalls that were scooting around Washington, D.C., and, and there were jets scrambled multiple times. We know that from the historic record. Um, well, there's a very famous movie called Earth and the Flying Saucers where yeah, all know, of this played out, including the anti-aircraft in the back of trucks looking yeah. kind of like you know, yeah, something yeah, yeah. out but, of the – I mean that's, that's art imitating life, and, and it wasn't – That's what I mean. That's where yeah, they got was, their ideas from, right? It, what, but it, see, okay, the other, the, the what, everything that I've researched about this from the historical records are, people were not panicking. The military apparently was very upset. I mean, I think rightfully so, um, that they couldn't control the airspace and that these things would pop in and out. Uh, well, they played time. cat and mouse with the uh, fighters in '52. The, they would yeah. launch from Alexandria or Arlington, they would right. rush upstairs, the UFOs would disappear, they would right. land, and the UFOs would come back. It was like, ha, 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 you can't catch us. Well, it also lends me to think that uh, they didn't want to directly engage. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, we're not on a... Uh, wait, wait, you, you mean the, them or us? The, well, they... The them. They, they didn't feel like engaging with us because they obviously could have. However, there was one case, and this is in my second book I, I found after many years of research, as you'd mentioned, um, and I think it was William Burns, actually, that brought this to light. There was a guy named Black Jack McGregor or Magruder or something like that. Anyway, he was, he was a very well-decorated pilot, and uh, he was called to the Pentagon during one of these UFO events 
and they watched on the radar as, as the jets went up and disappeared off the radar and were never recovered. Mm. I'll tell you what, we're at the bottom of the hour. My guest this morning is Robert Stanley to lead off. We've got Steve Bassett on the line, David Sarita, Barbara Honiger, and are we going to have what they used to call a lively conversation? Because nobody, and I'll be obviously challenged on that, but I would swear that nobody really knows what's really going on. But we have some really good theorists and really good external data, and so we're going to take a shot. Here on the other side of midnight, you recognize the background music, I presume. This is from Robert Wise, infamously, incredibly interesting UFO video slash film from the 1950s, The Day the Earth Stood Still, when a UFO landed on the mall in Washington and Klaatu emerged. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Other side of midnight for this Saturday, February 18th, 2023. So let's go back to Robert Stanley. Robert, you've documented now that... I'm sorry, what? I'm talking to Robert on the air. And you've documented, Robert, that since 1952, since this extraordinary public discussion... Yeah, and and if you could put up my one item, I'd appreciate (laughs) it. Wait, 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 wait. Guys, guys, you're, you're talking on the air. Barbara? Send him an email. Send him Skype message. Do not talk on the air. Thank you. Robert, are you with us? Yes. There you are. Okay. This is what happens when you have live shows and you have (laughs) last-minute developments. Anyway, nothing really occurred 
in the public venue, maybe you know something behind the scenes, uh, until relatively recently, and none of that uh, over Washington really has been covered until you did these two extraordinary books. Okay. Uh, if you're talking about the mainstream media? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 2002, the reason Fox News, and I think it was the Washington Post picked it up, is because NPR was reporting it. People were calling into the various radio stations at like 3 o'clock in the morning. Jets were chasing, uh, military jets were scrambling, were chasing these spherical objects. Yes, they're spherical, but uh, they don't move like balloons. They are self-illuminated and um, clearly have an advanced form of propulsion, probably a field propulsion system that's extremely uh, powerful and uh, highly maneuverable. So uh, people looked up, they woke up, they looked up, they saw this, um, and uh, that's that's the only thing. Now, this was, I think, like 10 days after Mr. Allen, Wilbur Allen, took pictures at the U.S. Capitol building of these same spherical objects, um, <laughs> apparently – they they swarmed the Capitol and one of them landed on the roof, according to the pictures. Now, what year was this? Because we're a long that way from fifty. That was July sixteen, two thousand and two. So it's it's basically yesterday compared to fifty two. Um, yeah, it was yeah, it was fifty. Uh, yes, it was the fifty year anniversary. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. And yeah, but it's not like. Okay, based on the years of research I did, there was there was hundreds of cases in between that were very um, uh, relatively innocuous. In other words, it wasn't no, nothing was no uh, military was scrambled and there was no panic, and the media didn't really pick up it. It was just individuals. I mean, some of them were very credible too, by the way, like police officers and pilots and stuff like that, uh, just making casual reports because. Nothing extraordinary happened other than people noticed that these objects were in controlled airspace doing things that conventional aircraft uh, simply don't do. And, well, wait, um, would, 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 would most people, most civilians even in Washington know about controlled airspace? In other words, they look up, you know, there's two major airports, Reagan yeah. and uh, Baltimore, and they see aircraft lights and blinking strobes and all that overhead yeah. all the time then right. there's then there's andrews so it's not like they look up and something's going on that they are not familiar with it just looks like noise so it never rose to the level of mainstream press attention until right until 2002 but in 1952 it wasn't just july it was also august and they, so what they described it was is a meteor Passing over Washington D.C., <laughs> kind of uh, lo leisurely lame, passing overhead towards Virginia. Lame. Uh, but back yeah. in those days, people didn't know astronomy, didn't know space science. They had no idea. Yeah, no. You know, so you know, almost anything. I mean, I caught the Air Force in an extraordinary lie when I was a, just a kid at the museum in Springfield, and that's what got me interested for a while into the whole UFO thing because they were so blatantly absurd in their quote explanation. It's like, yeah. did they hire anybody that knew anything? No, because they figured the general public is so damn dumb. They didn't even have to spend the money on someone who had some kind of a background in astronomy. They were claiming that what was seen and chasing jets and all that was <clears throat> Orion. 
Oh, it wasn't Venus? Oh, no, no, no. Okay. It was Orion. And Orion, that time, by the way, was on the opposite side of the planet, which is what I said. Are these people for real? Yeah, that's – well. But Orion see, it has to do with their opposition. Given yeah. that they feel that their audience are dumber than dirt, they don't even try to come out with any real serious explanation that will fool experts because they probably have bought all the experts. And those that they haven't bought, they don't give a damn. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, as someone who has actually encountered these crafts more than once, oh. day, day and night, mostly at night, but I can remember one of the times when I was living in Santa Monica and I was walking to the pharmacy, whatever, I, whatever the oh, Savon, I believe is what they used to call it. And I looked up and there was this round, red, spherical, silent object over Santa Monica uh, passing over the Savon Pharmacy, and nobody was paying attention to it except me. And I felt like I felt like I was in an episode of The Twilight Zone, to tell you the <laughs> truth, because it wasn't the first time. And I almost wanted to start yelling at people, hey, look, look up, you know, but I figured that they might think I'm insane. And I really didn't. I mean, the. It's so weird, the peer pressure, the way that the psychological warfare aspect of this has been um, perpetrated. It's just it's – just, uh, so in 52, things were obviously a little bit different, but people really didn't understand the severity, and the military didn't want to explain it, and the media was complicit, as they still are in large part, I think, with the Pentagon. Well, under those conditions, it's surprising we know almost anything. Yeah. So, okay. So the, one of the close encounters I had in Rhode Island um, was extraordinary in the sense that I, the reason I even noticed the craft or the spherical object was that there was a, an aircraft taking off from TF Green airport and it was so loud and so low. I thought it was going to crash on takeoff. So I'm looking at this thing going, what, what is going on? And that's when I noticed a light up in the sky, which I thought was a Venus. Mm -hmm. However, at the the aircraft, the passenger craft continued on taking off, and it and it left. And as now I'm looking at the light and realizing it's it's moving also. So I ran into the house. Was it and trailing I got my, the I got aircraft? Camera and I took pictures of it, and I realized because at that point now it was more over directly over the uh, the backyard of the house. And um, I was a little frightened, actually. I, the, my reason I'm telling you this is because I obviously don't know what it was other than the fact that it looked like so many of the other things I've seen, which is spherical, uh, self-luminous, radiant light, and um, able to do things like literally just shoot off or completely disappear from sight in a, like a blink of an eye. It, it, it's, it, and it's very um, disorienting. And, when you, and you say this was Rhode Island? Yeah. Yeah, what, was, remember what year? When I first came out with this, when the, the second book first came out, and I was actually Richard. I, speaking of Orion's Belt, that the, the night before I was doing a show, just like we're doing a show now. And afterwards, I walked out with Charlie, and to let him do his business. And I'm looking up at the sky, and there's Orion's Belt, and I'm literally screaming at them, going, "Are you guys insane? Why do you think that I could possibly?" Uh, uh, you know, report this and make a difference. It's not working. You know, basically I was telling them to screw themselves and um, <laughs> leave me alone. Yeah, I'm not kidding. So you I didn't really... focus and say, okay, what do you want to say? 
well, well, I'm just saying mentally I was projecting towards Orion's belt. I, I didn't expect anybody to be listening. Oh, so you know? did this just kind of like a matter of course, and then you look in another part of the sky and there's something. No, no, no. That was at night. That was so 12 hours later. I'm out back out in the same part of the yard with the dog. Now it's daytime. Okay. Right. And I, I and that's when the be. And then after the thing, I took the pictures and it just vanished. I realized, oh my God, uh, somebody must have heard me last night, and that was their way of saying, yeah, well, we're watching, <laughs> we're still watching you, so. You know, take it for what it's worth, Richard. This is a very weird, one-sided kind of a conversation. With, I mean, it's not even a conversation. I, I feel violated on some level, and that's why I even got into this investigation stuff and reporting it because I was one of their uh, specimens, I guess. I don't know what to say. They, they were studying me. I felt like they were studying me. They, I, they proved that they could read my mind, which freaked that, me out. Like, I mean, seriously freaked me out for quite a while um and, so so um, you take charlie out yeah. after you do this show for his evening business you're looking at orion <laughs> and just in general you express your frustration like i was really upset yeah okay all right because you just got a yeah. show and you went through some stuff and all that well, then, no, it's, here, look we're still talking about this richard and it's my level of frustration is that i've documented it I, I've, I've reported it everywhere i can and, and i don't feel like i'm moving the ball down the field at all you won't you won't until it all breaks i know this is not going to be gradual it's going to be sudden shatteringly day I, and night point. yes you're right it's a gradual thing and then the, we hit the tipping point like oh that was easy <laughs> yeah. I mean, look at how long I've been talking about ET ruins in the solar system, and nobody yeah, gives know, a damn. Know, and some, except you'll be and everybody go, oh yeah. Except all along. Except yeah. well, that was yeah. three, four stages of discovery or something. I forget who said that. The mm -hmm. the South Korean government has now given us stunning new data, which we're going to talk about tomorrow night when we talk about the Chinese and the moon. Mm -hmm. And I can now track, I know exactly when the breakthrough is going to come, what this show and I have to do personally to tip it over the edge of the cliff so that everybody goes, oh, my God. And mm -hmm. I, I can see the end of this relay race in sight. So my frustration Good. is, and I think this whole weekend of shooting down objects is part of building toward something given what the South Korean government has done but not said a word about not yeah, a word i know what you're saying the final straw that breaks the camel's back is gonna it's yeah. coming it's a matter of time i i know anyway i'm not i'm not terribly upset anymore but at the time but you went out there and you kind of broadcast your frustration yeah, 12 yeah, yeah, hours yeah, yeah, later yeah. you you get somebody and showing was, up yeah well here's the thing uh, I know that they can be around us and we can't see them unless They're they want us to. They have an optical stealth. Somebody said, uh, you know, they're out of phase or whatever it is. They've proven that they can do that and we don't always see them. So I kind of knew already that they might have been watching, but that was confirmation. And I believe it was their way of saying, um, you know, uh, we're not done with you yet. Mm. <laughs> For whatever reason, Richard, and I don't, I have no clue. Like you were saying, we don't know. We don't, 
how could we know unless we have a conversation with them, whoever they are? How would we know? And even then, I'd want to verify. If they started telling us stuff, I'm like, well, could you please see, give me some it, 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 Could you please validate what you just said or it, showed us? I mean, it may be more than one day. In fact, I'm almost oh, certain it it's more than one day. Of course it is. And it and could be something problem. as dumb as tourists. <laughs> Remember. Well, I'm sure there's some of that going on. But look, you and I talked about it, and other people know too, that there's there's some sort of civil war, family feud, cosmic conflict, whatever you want to call it. And that seems to be the part of the bigger problem that there's a serious conflict going on between these different factions, at least two. Um, I know Linda Moulton Howe was told that it was actually three, and it's, it's ancient. This is an ancient conflict that's going on, and we seem to be caught up in it. Well, we're involved because, remember, my, my main model is family. We're yeah. not dealing with aliens. We're dealing with family, and the worst yeah. feuds – are within families. I mean, look at the Hatfields and McCoys. Yep. Use another cliche. So, if we're in the middle of a family dispute, if in fact Charles Fort was right when he said we are property, yeah, maybe somebody's arguing over who owns the genetic code to the human species. Well, that's how kingdoms work. Yeah, they're subject to the crown or considered property of the crown. Hmm. Uh, right. So, yes, I, my understanding, that's how it is. Kingship is extends off the world. And uh, I think Jupiter Ascending basically showed us that in a fictional form. I haven't that seen was, it yet. I, you still haven't seen that. Oh, my God. I know. You You and Ron <laughs> are so frustrated. Uh, so <laughs> It's fine. It's fine. But, it, it, okay, once again, art imitating life, I believe. And this is the really frustrating part, aside from Washington, D.C., the entire subject of extraterrestrial aliens, interdimensionals, whatever, is so nebulous, it's like trying to nail jello to the wall. But and, but but yeah. I would argue from December twenty seventeen to tonight, mm-hmm. we are in a totally different yes. political and media regime than any yep. time since World War Two. And that because of what happened over the last two weeks and we're mm. actively shooting down unknowns where we really have a clue what we're shooting at, and no less than the president admits, well, we really don't know what they are, but the most likely – in other words, you'd expect that the hierarchy would have some knowledge it would you know, share with its citizens per the yes. Constitution. No, we're, we're cannon fodder. We're chattel. Yes. We're you know, consumers. We're not – we're not we, we they don't think we're deserving of an answer which would make somebody satisfied so they're given us this potpourri of nonsense nonsense yeah yeah, yeah. because know. you know we, we don't need to know according to their from but, their perspective but see that that was then this is now this is I, not no, going this is not going to go away even if they think we're dumber than dirt no we're not <laughs> and we have something called the internet and we yeah. have smartphones and we have social media and there's shows like this, and there's data, actual firm data in the solar system to show to any expert observer, good God, we're not alone. And against that context, there's something else going on. And it's right. something else I want to grapple with tonight with, you know, my, my, my kind of like the creme de la creme of the folks that I talk to who look at this and are immersed in this and have examined this to a much higher degree by a factor of thousands than the average person 
has time to. So talk yeah. about what is on the screen. Talk about your items of things seen and photographed recently over Washington, D.C., because I think that's the next step in this if it's part of an ascending scale of disclosure where basically in, in human parlance, when you shoot at something, it means it's probably an enemy. So are we being conditioned yeah. that when we make contact, it's going to be an enemy? Well, that's what – what does he say? Um, when you're a carpenter, everything looks like a nail? Yep, yep. Okay, so the Pentagon is looking for that in order to justify their existence and their expenditures, clearly. And um, it some like also when Truman issued that shoot on side order, you're right. Somebody recommended to him, this is really not a good idea. You could start something that we can't fix. Well, it's the famous Jim Croce song. Oh, I should have had that racked up. I should play it tonight. Remember the yeah. remember the song? Don't tug on Superman's cape. Oh right. <laughs> Don't spit into the wind. Don't yeah, pull exactly. the mask of the old Lone Ranger. And I forget the rest of it. And for the military, don't mess around with them. Yeah, don't yeah. Mess around with them. For them to be shooting at objects without knowing who they are, what they are, against the backdrop. Remember, this is against yeah. the backdrop of the New York Times stories of the Nimitz and the Roosevelt and the encounters yeah. with obvious, incredibly high-tech, anti-gravity, super-civilization spacecraft. To be shooting things that you don't know what they are is dumb. Well, yeah, unless they're hostile and they want to defend themselves. Unless they have. Unless they have in the past. Yeah. it's all. So here's the hang on, hang on, Robert. I mean, Robert, the, Robert, hang on, hang on. What? Unless it's all kabuki theater. It could be. That's and it's all gonna... against the backdrop of disclosure in a way that makes us feel afraid, very afraid, and give the Pentagon control of contact. And more money. It's and not the money, happens. it's the contact. Remember, it's all about how we interpret who's out there and what their objectives are. Yeah, well, the Tic Tacs are ours, but that's the that's the covert world. That's the real black budget stuff. The secret space program. The the un, yeah right un right unidentified not unidentified sorry special access programs yeah um, unacknowledged special access and so and a lot of that's built by private contractors. So part of this problem we may be seeing right now is something that our friend who's unfortunately passed, Bob Dean, said. There's a, a conflict going on between these intelligence agencies. Some of them want to disclose, and I guess that would mean including the advanced technologies and material and stuff that we've acquired. And there's the other side that says, no, you can't do that. We're not going to allow it. So there, that may, there could be an internal uh, struggle that's going on behind the scenes. Um, and one side chose to break the log jam by shooting at UFOs and then calling them UFOs. That, that's possible. It, it may be, but we're not going to know this probably for quite some time. And even then, like I said, you have to question everything when it comes to this subject is just one of the most craziest things I've ever come across. And I'm sure other people, that's why a lot of people just turn their heads and say I don't want to don't even bother me with that because it doesn't uh, it, it doesn't really change the course of their lives or the quality of it and and there's just no way that you can confirm a lot of this these reports as many as many years as I've been trying uh, again part of the big problem here 
is that the whoever they are, they're not talking to us directly in a uh, official capacity at all. It's all this this you know not, this weird stuff that comes out. Some guy out in the middle of the outback is picked up out of his whatever and taken to another world. Then he's got to write a book, and you're like, <laughs> well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's entertainment, but. No way to verify this. Well, but what it did, a la Brookings, remember the famous Brookings report, which basically said in order for people not to freak out, there has to be a generation or more of a culturization. People have to get used to the idea. So when it finally breaks, they'll go, oh, what's Kim Kardashian wearing tonight? In other words, total boredom. And I knew it all along as a reaction, as opposed to cats and dogs living together, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So if that's a long-term strategy, I think the curve has taken a dramatic inflection, and I'm not sure why. Well, it is social engineering. Bob Dean did mention that as well to me, if not other people. He did say that that within the schism within the intelligence community, whoever's really running the show behind the scenes, is that we did need to be gradually uh, acclimated. Mm-hmm. To the so-called alien presence, even though, like you said, they're not alien, they're not foreign, they're extended family. Well, some might be. We, well, okay, fine, whatever. But the, I, I think it's easier if we just put that on the table so people realize that a lot of these things, like unidentified flying object, is <laughs> they know damn well what these things are or or not. They do have identity. Well, it's so interesting is that after the balloon, after the spy balloon, which was a Chinese yeah. balloon, yeah, we shoot down three other mysterious objects in rapid succession, and instead of the go-to explanation, oh, it's China, it's more spying, it's more balloons, the NORAD people, the Air Force people, the Pentagon people, and then the White House people <laughs> went out of yeah. their way to keep calling them unidentified flying objects like they wanted to put everybody's headspace into aliens, ETs. Yeah, but but they've been using the UFO as a designation to hide the, their own technology for decades. Yeah, but that's irrelevant. You know, that. For most people who don't know that we really can't control gravity, I mean, if we could, why are we sending up rockets in the shuttle and all that nonsense? Yeah, yeah. They can't think of this multi-leveled inside secret information, except maybe a guy named Trump at Mar-a-Lago with all those secret files. What is he? Why did he take <laughs> secrets? I think he took those secret files so he had a Trump card, <clears throat> pun intended, yeah, for his one. own purposes. That's a whole other conversation. The point is the general public, when you say UFOs, they think spaceship. Right. They or do aliens. not think right. secret that's, technology. That's they think well, I think it's against design because everyone's trying to, you know, talk about Iran or or China or Russia in terms of the Tic Tacs. They don't want people yeah. to think extraterrestrials. But this week, Biden set up an office in the White House, brought it into the White House, gave a very, very, I mean, pathetically uninteresting, banal and kind of stupid press conference where all he did was reiterate what was already in the public media, except we've got a new idea. This could be private, you know, researchers or corporations. And isn't the government on the hook if they shoot down a piece of private property? Aren't they liable? 
and and like you said, collateral damage on the grounds. Okay, so look, they'd they'd rather have that on their head than to admit that they can't really control air uh, airspace over America um, from things that but are. But that's not what this rolling disclosure since 2017. Yeah. With the UAP and the Elizondo and the office. Yeah, yeah. Japan, all it's been building toward people. Now we have congressional hearings. That was in what, May of last year, the year before. Yeah. And then now uh, annual reports. So it's not like this is not part of mainstream conversation. I mean, Helen Cooper, who is this really bright gal who covers the Pentagon, I saw her a year or so ago on a uh, uh, network television show. And she was adamantly crusading to be the reporter on the UFO story when it broke. So it's not like it's all not being watched. And behind the scenes, they're not having the same conversation we're having on the air tonight because nobody, I think, is really buying the idea that the Pentagon would spend millions of dollars shooting down toy balloons. Right. No, no, of course not. But at the same time, uh, my understanding is that their weapon systems are ineffective against real advanced aerospace. Unless the real advanced aircraft want to be shot at. Right, that's okay. But well, think of how you would down. how you would manage disclosure if you're them. And a yeah, warlike okay. culture is imprisoned, and you somehow have to break through. Have you ever ever seen two dogs and we're running up to the top of the hour? I'll finish with this and then we'll come back. Have you ever seen two dogs meet each other in a parking lot? Very aggressive dogs. And one of them lies down and exposes its tummy. Right. That's what this looks like. Somebody out there has decided, okay, let's let them think their sidewinders are effective. That way when we land, they won't shoot us when we emerge from the damn ship. Huh. Okay. Got to think outside the box. Anyway, I, I my guest this morning, that. my first guest is Robert Stanley. Robert's going to hang around. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Steve Bassett, who is our man in Washington, even though he is very peripatetic and he wanders around all over the place. And he is the, on the West Coast, I believe, tonight. Uh, I believe he's connected. I see his smiling face. And he's got some news from the inside. So without further ado, we will go to Stephen when the other side of midnight with your host, Richard C. Hoagland, returns. TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. 
support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone. On this Saturday night, the 18th of February, 2023, we're discussing tonight a larger context for the flap, the balloon flap, over the last couple of weeks, starting with a very visible, brilliant, obviously unmistakable, riveting Chinese spy balloon. I remember when spies kind of skulked around in the dark and didn't sail broadly, brilliantly at 60,000 feet overhead from sea. Well, Montana doesn't have a sea, but almost crossed the entire continent of the United States. And then someone said, okay, maybe now we should shoot the damn thing down. And then we have these three other bizarre anomalies. One of the curious things in one of the news stories, I think it's number four, is that the, uh, the radio chatter from the pilots that were picked up by ham radio uh, people, you know, with scanners and all that. So we actually have recordings of the actual pilots that were sent up to bring down the UFO over Dead Horse. I still love that, that date mine, Dead Horse, Alaska. They actually are recorded as saying that the object, whatever it was, was interfering with their sensors, with the equipment on the incredibly high-tech and shielded multi hundred million dollar F-22s that were sent up to shoot down whatever this thing was that was described as the size of a car and floating without apparent airfoils or propulsion or whatever. Again, if you were looking at a mainstream explanation, a small balloon would satisfy, but the fact that it was somehow interfering with the aircraft super shielded sensors. Remember, the sensors are only shielded from electromagnetism. They're not shielded from side effects of torsion field physics or anti-gravity or hyperdimensional technology or anything like that. So without further ado, let's do this. Let me introduce my next guest because we have probably the best person to talk to tonight about uh, Politically, what's going around all of this, um, Stephen Bassett has been at this for decades. He is the uh, political activist and disclosure advocate and the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group, founded back in 1996 to end the government-imposed embargo on the truth behind extraterrestrial-related phenomena. And he's spoken to all kinds of audiences. He's been involved in radio and television and uh, is a very good colleague and friend for decades. And you can read more details on his background at the other side of midnight. So without further ado, Stephen, come on down. 
All right, I've got my mic on. Is the, can you hear me okay? We hear you. You sound very bassy tonight. Very yeah, rich. well, that's because I've got a cold. I've oh, oh, cold. okay. Well, I'm sorry. You have a cold. And about three days in now, and I don't have – I haven't even got some medicine. So I'm going to do my best, and I'm going to try to mute it when I sneeze, keeping time that well. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I've got my radio voice tonight, my friend. <laughs> you uh, sure do. So, All right. You have, your, you have your ear to the ground in Washington. Uh, we've got some information by way of Barbara, who talked to a, quote, insider – uh, and I'll let Barbara tell you about what that, you know, conversation entailed. What do you know that they know that they are willing to talk about? Because when you and I had this conversation a few days ago and I mentioned the word balloon, you did one of the few times I've ever heard you actually belly laugh out loud. Talk to us. Oh, it's a lot to laugh about. Um, let's see. Uh, I, I am. Again, I, I don't have direct contacts to the Pentagon or anything else. I'm not a journalist. I'm an activist. And I'm in California. But I, I can read the news, and God knows there's been plenty of that. Um, so looking at it uh, on the basis of what is known, what has been told, what has been said, what's happened to the extent that the news has reported it, and there's been a lot. I have a number of takes on this, which I'll share with your audience. Um, Probably the most important thing that I got from the last few days is that the the Department of Defense and the White House is caught by surprise on this. This wasn't planned. If it was planned, it's the most ridiculous, awful plan ever. Uh, they were caught by surprise. They didn't know what to do. They weren't able to coordinate between entities, DOD, spokespeople, whatever. And uh, it was a little... Uh, uh, I think scary for them in a way. Scary not because of the phenomena, but because at any time they can't provide a coordinated response to things. It makes them look weak and, and embarrassing. It's politically damaging. But they didn't plan this, all right? That's the first thing, right, that comes to mind. And then in terms of what we'll call an overall explanation, I mean, I've thought about this and thought about it and I gave myself a cold. That's how much I <laughs> I weakened my immune system from too much thinking, and now I have this nasty cold. However, I should audition for some radio shows. I think there are only three possibilities. Here's the first one. These balloons, these surveillance balloons, are up there all the time. We got them. The Chinese have got them. The Russians have got them. Hell, Cuba's probably got them. Whatever. They're all over the place. We're spying on each other constantly. This is something that people forget. Uh, it would get mentioned a lot more during the Cold War. Now we're in Cold War II. The point is, the only reason we haven't had a nuclear war, and we've come really close on a number of occasions, is that we have extreme. We, we, we spend a huge amount of money, every, everyone does, on intelligence, intelligence, tech, surveillance, spies, everything, we, to try to know what is going on with the other country. And that is extremely important, because if you don't know, it's left to your imagination. And then you start thinking and you get worried and paranoid and next thing you know somebody launches a nuke and so you have to spy now the downside of that is yeah you have to do it we all do it but if you get caught there's going to be penalties though in general the penalties are not nearly as severe as they were back in the 50s and so the fact that a, a, a Chinese balloon was coming over North America is no big deal what happened here I think is that all of this huge interest that's been generated by recent developments, the legislation, the 
arrow setting up and everything else, right? In other words, all of the the disclosure process of victories we've had. Since the, press coverage since, the, been, since the New York Times in 2017. Right. Five years, yeah. I think I've logged in over 5,000 articles uh, since 2017 on this subject, which is more than any other five-year period. All of that, people look at the sky. Anything that's up there, they're checking it out. They can't find it. Of course, you can't take taking film. They're talking about it. Pilots are talking about it. Anything that turns up interesting, boom, it's big news. I, I'm particularly fond of the giant I hate to say what I thought it looked like, but it's the big cloud over Turkey. That was one hell of a cloud, i got to tell you. And uh, that, that's a UFO. And so it's all this press. And so I think a Chinese balloon got a little low and got seen. It got picked up somehow. It became a thing. So people reported it. People took a shot of it, whatever. Anyway, this Chinese balloon becomes a thing. And suddenly the U.S. is confronted with this problem. The damn things are supposed to fly over at 80,000 feet, move on, go into the Atlantic, go over the Helder Gulf. Everything is fine. And this thing turns up. It's down too low, and it's getting picked up. And so they got a Chinese surveillance balloon over North America. Uh, you just can't go to the public and say, look, uh, this happens all the time, and we got a little low, and we're just going to let it go. It's going to cruise on. It's okay. We do the same thing to the Chinese. No, they can't do that. They were forced to take some kind of action. Now, they let it. They let it travel a long distance, and they might very well have let it just move on. But the Chinese screwed up. They, you know, and, and they're not the only country that does this. But they, they, they said, what, what, what? It's not a surveillance. Well, it's a weather balloon. <laughs> now, the irony of the Chinese make calling this a weather balloon did not escape me, and I'm sure it didn't escape you. And so that really pissed off the White House. Uh, I mean, give me a break, Right. Uh, they also said, well, we shot down one, too, so whatever. So they irritated, I think, Biden to the point where, screw this, we're going to shoot this thing down. So they shoot it down. Why they used to, uh, a, uh, a, uh, um, uh, the, uh, the missile, Sidewinder, is not clear. They claim that they put a 1,000 rounds into it. Uh, earlier, and it doesn't come down because the way the balloon is built and whatever. And my thinking is, well, if a thousand rounds doesn't bring it down, put in five thousand rounds. You're still hundreds of thousands of dollars short of what it costs for a sidewinder. Oh my god, half a million dollars a pop. Plus, when when you when you blow up something with a sidewinder, you really blow it up. It's like have fun putting the pieces back together after they fall. Well, not in the case of the balloon. The balloon was such that it blew up the balloon. The payload underneath was probably pretty much protected. So, okay, so that's how they took the balloon down. It goes into the water. So far, so good. This is not particularly unusual. Uh, the Chinese will take down one of our balloons. We'll warn them, don't do this again, and they'll go right back to doing it anyway. Cold War II, no big deal. And then, okay, <laughs> the plot thickens. And these next three events take place. Now, the first you, thing you're having way too much that. fun with this, Stephen. <laughs> what, what else have I got to do, Dick? I don't, I don't have a life. This is it. This is my total life. So, first of all, let's be clear: the shooting down of these three things is the first time that has happened since World War II. Yeah, in we shot a things down over the Aleutian Islands. Yep. You know, it's yep. sort of ours, but. It's never happened. Now, it, it, I'm not saying it couldn't have happened, and it was in a way that nobody knew about it. The government just did. But it. wait, wait, wait. Why were we so? Why was the why was the military, the Pentagon, the Air Force, so trigger happy to after we left this huge building size 
skyscraper drift across the country for a week or two, something the size of a car that was over a place on Earth that nobody except the pilots would ever have known anything about. There's nobody there. I'm getting there. Why would we shoot there, three objects down and cause a I'm, firestorm? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Trust me. Trust me. Stay with me. So that's the first thing, again, in terms of people assessing it. It's like this has never happened before. This is extremely unusual. Okay, that's pretty important. Got that. So the next so, – so I'm thinking, okay, explaining the balloon was easy. Explaining these three Volkswagens they shot out of the sky is another matter. What the hell is going on there? And one explanation is that the Chinese have drones that can fly with seemingly no means of propulsion, right? Not quite that. That's a, that's a simple phrase. You, you don't really, you can't really be sure about that. But and I'm drawn to the. I'm so they have anti gravity. They're I'm, using anti gravity in an operational spy device. I, maybe. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. If they were, that would be that would be interesting. It's, look, I happen to. But think we have the same technology. We have exactly the same technology. Paul LaViolette wrote a brilliant book documenting the development of this all the way from uh, uh, T. Towns and Brown back in the 1920s. Okay. Okay. Let, let's let's. I'm saying whatever, whatever's flying there, it's it is in fact Chinese. You may remember a while back, there was a big deal to do over some film that turned up with the, uh, a lot of things flying around a U.S. destroyer. I believe it was a destroyer. Uh, and they were taking film of it, and it got a lot of press. It was, in the, it was covered extensively. What the hell is going on here? And I remember, but it wasn't specifically clear. You know, it's always kind of fuzzy, but there was what something year, out What there. year was this? This, is, this was about... A year ago, oh, okay. a little bit further, when some film emerged that was being shown or talked about online about some things flying around one of our destroyers, which, which, the, government, which the government did not deny. So this is post-2017 New York Times. Uh, this is – oh, yeah, this is about a year ago. Okay. So um, I, when I first saw this film and I heard about it, I'm thinking E.T. right away because they didn't shoot at him. You see, if you're the captain of a of a U.S. Navy ship, and a bunch of stuff is flying around your ship, you blow it to smithereens. Well, look what happened yeah, with with, with the, look what happened with Iran and the Airbus tragedy. An Aegis cruiser completely mangled their radar and their command and all that, and they shot down a civilian airliner because the captain did not want his ship to be attacked in a zone where ships have been attacked. Okay, yeah, yeah. And these things were these things were hundred yards or so off the ship. I mean, said, you don't, you just don't do that. That's how you lose your command. And I said, well, the yep. only reason they wouldn't have shot at them was because they're extraterrestrial, and we know you don't shoot at ETs, right? You just the, don't do that. The Jim I mean, Croce song. And then, but after this event, I rethought it a little bit, and I'm thinking well, maybe those were Chinese drones. And so, let's say you've got some Chinese drones flying around in this ship. But they're not doing any damage. What do you do? If you shoot them down, okay, then they're going to start shooting down our drones. You're going to create a massive diplomatic incident. And so if you know what they are, you know they're Chinese drones, you're just going to say, you know, don't break anything, right? Do your thing and get the hell out of here. 
because we don't we don't need to have an international incident. So it's possible they were Chinese drones and that these were Chinese drones. Now, you might say, OK, so what? If, 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 if these were Chinese drones flying over uh, our territory, they may very well have done it before. And so now you get to the, set, the, the back to the original scenario. We're already pretty pissed off about the balloon. We've taken that down. And then these things are turning up. And the government's attitude is you should have turned the damn things around. Don't you see what's going on here? I mean, this is this is completely out of hand. You're really getting arrogant. You're irritating us. And so we're going to shoot your damn drones down. And you can shoot some of ours down. But overall, we're trying to send you a message. Cut this out. Okay. That is scenario one, which generally kind of explains what happened. And probably means that the Chinese have got some a basic anti-gravitics that they can fit in a Volkswagen and fly around, which you know, wouldn't shock me. That's scenario one. Let's go to scenario two. Scenario are two. We, uh, hang on. Are, are we talking manned vehicles or unmanned uh, robot technology? Well, that's an interesting thing. That's an interesting thing. One of the things the government said that struck me, among the many things that it said that struck me, was that we knew there weren't any pilots. And I'm saying, oh, really? So what? You must have flown a jet up real, real close <laughs> and looked in there and said there's no pilots. Or maybe there were no windows. But how did you know there were no pilots? Too small? I don't know about that. Also, I mean, you have the sophisticated tech where you can actually detect if there's life form inside that solid vehicle. Mm. So they were a little too confident they were no pilots. Okay. The thing that resonated so that, that, with that, me, Stephen, was the pilots, some of them, not all of them. But some of them, there must have been a cluster of aircraft we sent up for this thing, which, again, is kind of weird, you know, like pay attention. They said it interfered with their sensors, yeah, yeah. which says to me yeah, that, technology that, that's doing something weird with gravity that doesn't show up as EM, but interferes uh, with – interferes. No. Remember, back in the 50s and 40s and 60s, we had UFOs and then – Cars would stop. They would shut down yeah, that. the headlights that. and all. But the, but audience, have, the audience may not know yeah, that. Dip, uh, dip, we, we have the ability to interfere with, with, with the controls of other planes. The idea that there was some tech in, that, in those drones that could interfere with our planes is not, not remarkable at all. Uh, it does tend to, again, lean toward the scenario one, Chinese drones, possibly anti-gravitic, uh, and the whole situation got out of hand, and we sent a message out of bounds. Now, wait. All right. Okay, uh, stop so there. Stop, 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 stop. My question then yeah. is, given the chain of command, given the ruthless chain of command, why did we find out about any of this, given that it was Pentagon, military, Air Force, F-22s? Why does anybody let loose this extraordinary set of stories? Not once, not twice, but three times. Once again, uh, We've always, I, under my scenario one, we've always known that that stuff was happening. But we haven't made There's it public. Usual. It's the public I part that fine, I don't understand. This, all right. Well, I, that's what I tried to point out to you earlier, Jeff. The reason this got out of hand is because the level of interest on the public of anything in the sky at all is at a peak level. It's off the charts. And, and not only is it just interest. Anything that turns up spreads out through the, 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 the Internet and through social media like a plague. I mean, it goes around the world in 20 seconds. And so the days when it's like, ah, they got three of the damn drones down here, 
uh, you know, send up something, send a message. But wait, 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 wait. Hang on, hang on, hang on. There was there was someone on horseback in Montana that saw the huge Chinese balloon because it was huge. Yeah. There was yeah. nobody in Dead Horse that saw this. Nobody took video. Nobody in the Yukon took video. Nobody over Lake Huron took video of something at 20,000 feet. Any number of pilots could have reported those. I mean, there's any number of pilots. Minus any but it still would have been a in. secret. We made it. Again, the Pentagon again, made it public. Dick, I'm gonna. I, I, look, I, I don't want to debate this too much. This is not 1969. It's not 1945. This is a different time. And the idea that everything is hushed up, put under rug, no, no, it's not that way. Uh, this thing got out of hand in a number of ways. There were probably there were people that saw this, pilots that saw this, and then you connect it to the balloon, and it just got out of control. And, well, hang on, and, hang and on. Let me let me ask are, another let me ask another dumb question. Is it possible? Uh-huh. Is it possible that we know about this because of your own work? And let me state what I mean by that. Is it possible because the president signed this NDAA, which you and a bunch of other people worked very hard for decades to get to this level of political, you know, acknowledgement and you know disclosure, that because of the is now the law that someone in the military can actually leak this information with zero repercussions because no, someone no, was covering no. you said leak no no you said leak the law is not about leaks but i will say this uh the legislation has been passed it's made it clear that this issue is now legitimate and in play the skepticism has fallen to practically zero there are people coming out everywhere without any concern and talking about it. The thing is in play. It's just not 1969. And so anything turns up flying around, somebody sees it, it's going to become a thing very quickly. And these things became a thing. Now, uh, so that's – but anyway, that's my first scenario. So you got that. Let's move to scenario two. It's much more interesting. Okay. All right. <laughs> scenario two that, that could explain what the hell happened here. Okay, so so – the Chinese balloon is, hey, it's it's a thing. It happened, uh, and may be a factor in scenario two. But here's what here's how scenario two goes. We are making extraordinary progress towards disclosure, unprecedented. Uh, so fast that I can barely keep up. That's great. Love it. Can't wait. Uh, and we we I could foresee potentially hearings this year, even this spring. Though, you know, there's always something to slow it down, what have you. But nevertheless, we are really, we're really heading toward the finish line. Unfortunately for that scenario, there is a war in Europe, the most dangerous one in, since World War II. In fact, more dangerous since World War II, okay? Well, because we all have news. Uh, where, uh, yeah, well, not only do we have, well, we have news, we have news during, during the Vietnam War. The trouble is, is that this war is Russia. It is uh, uh, a proxy war in which it's really with the United States and NATO. We're providing all the weapons, and the talk of nuclear weapon use is rampant. It's going on all the time, and it's not coming from fear mongers. It's coming from former secretaries of state, former DOD people, high-level generals, and yada, yada, yada. And the the doomsday clock has been moved in 90 seconds. We are on the edge of nuclear war. It could happen at any time because Vladimir Putin is getting old. He's dying. He's lost his mind. All right, now. If I'm the ETs and I'm up there checking things out, and 
I have been pleased with our progress towards disclosure because until we self-disclose on this issue, I do not believe open contact can take place and more progress can be made. They could end the, the embargo anytime they wanted to. They choose not to, but they goose it along. They help it. Remember your earlier guest said something about uh, – Stanley said something about they have the ability to be invisible. Yeah, I think they are. They yes, do. Yes, yes. So then why don't they always be invisible? Well, every time you see money kind of you know, advances the, well, they're, the process. Well, they're, they're, they're leaking their possible. presence at the general population level. I don't know about the general population level. I'm simply saying that they, they may have looked down and said – we're, we're getting towards disclosure. We may not make it in time. That This nuclear war could happen. We're running out of time to get it done. Unless we solve the Ukraine problem, nukes could have applied any time. And they may have decided what we're going to do. Uh, we, need to, we need to advance the progress, stimulate it a little bit. So uh, we're going to have a couple of our drones. We're going to slow them way down. And we're going to fly them real straight. And let them shoot some of them down. Now, you may say, well, how does that goose the disclosure project and process. How does that help? Well, <laughs> for one thing, it creates this unprecedented event. It's a huge amount of tension. Two, there's ET tech in those things, and when they get when they get uh, shot down, obviously, uh, once we find them and we wait, look wait, at wait, them, wait. You, we got Roswell. Hang on, hang on. You've heard the latest news, right? We have officially uh, we've officially abandoned the search for debris from. The Alaska shootdown, the Yukon shootdown, the Lake Huron shootdown, and we're making all these government claims up to the president with zero data, and we've now officially stopped looking. What about this makes any sense? Yeah, I was getting – well, I'm trying to make that up before you did. And so under the ET scenario, too, slow them down, let them shoot them down. Uh, that first of all, the very fact that we, they did that would have uh, got the government's attention. They shoot them down. Now they've got ET tech wreckage, which is going to be a lot harder, how you say, to deal with than Roswell at 47. And so it's definitely going to stimulate the whole thing. So under that scenario, under that, and, and, I, and, and if I lose my, uh, I may lose one of my things, but I'll switch over to another one. It's not a problem. Uh, under that scenario, Watching for anything that supports it, okay? And the first thing that supported it, in my view, is when somebody from the Pentagon, bless his heart, came out and said, we may never find the wreckage. This was about the first day after the the last shoot. We may never find the wreckage. And I'm going, are you kidding me? (laughs) We found the Titanic. Yes. Yeah. We we found the Titanic. We have a GPS coordinate. We know exactly where this thing was. They so watched it fall. Ahead of your skis there. You got ahead of your skis there. All right. And so they walked that back. So I'm, I'm, I'm watching that. And then uh, again. Well, it gets even weirder. Stephen, it, it, it gets even weirder. The head of NORAD, the guy who's in charge of the radars that were, quote, tweaking. So we're finding all these new things that we didn't know were up there. Give me a break. He said officially when pressed. We cannot rule out these are extraterrestrials, just like yeah, that. He said that. Yeah, he said that, and he should know. And then Jean-Pierre was asked. Oh, the, uh, yes, press, I watched press, her. Press she was asked about it, and she made a very careful statement. Twice, no, twice. She repeated it twice. There is nothing presently indicating that this is extraterrestrial. There's nothing indicating it's extraterrestrial. Immediately, the media picked up and said the government says that they're not extraterrestrial. That's not what she said. 
at what she said is, as of the moment I'm telling you this, there's nothing indicating they're extraterrestrial. Tomorrow, there could be all kinds of things. So th- th- this is as they're starting to get their message together. But understand, the word extraterrestrial is getting passed around, isn't it? It's getting in the mouth of people the DOD. It's getting in the mouth of White House press secretaries. And so if, you're, if your goal is to goose the disclosure process, it's working. Now, the biggest problem – Okay, have, we are at the bottom really. of the hour. Hold the okay. object number three. This almost reminds me yeah. of Monty Hall in uh, door number three. Uh, Stephen Bassett has the floor at the moment. He's got two really interesting and not exclusive, mutually exclusive hypotheses on the table. There's number three coming up. And here, as promised, is Jim Croce's song, You Don't Tug on Superman's Cape. We did. Why did we think we could get away with it? You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall occur. And when the bad folks all get together at night, you know they all call Big Jimbo just because. And if they say you don't tug on Superman's cape, you don't spit into the wind. You don't pull a mask off that old Lone Ranger, and you don't mess around with Jim. I don't do that. I see Jim everyone on this Saturday night. Really fascinating. We've got a lot of interesting ideas on the table, and uh, Stephen's about to introduce us to what it's like to walk through door number three. So have at it. 
All right, I had to switch to a different mic. How how am I sounding, Dick? Okay. You're still gravelly and you have great gravitas okay, tonight. <laughs> okay, so getting back to scenario two. Once those three objects, or any one of them, but you know, three were in play, the government only had two possibilities. Let them cruise on by, head on out to the Atlantic, and just say, hey, what can you do? Or shoot them down. Well, they only had one up. They had to shoot them down. Now, the moment they shoot them down, now their problem, their number one problem, is what's inside of them. The tech. Yeah, of course. And that's where it starts to get very interesting. Let's assume there were just two possibilities on tech. Chinese tech, alien tech. If it's Chinese tech, boy, do they want that. Boy, do they want to be able to examine that uh, in every way possible. All right? And so that brings us to another thing that is extremely odd about this. If you have a device that has obviously some advanced technology, you do not shoot it down with a sidewinder. You do not hit a Volkswagen with a sidewinder. That is not going to help you come to understand the tech is in there. You find another way to get it down. You shoot it a few times, maybe a couple more, throw a net over it, whatever the hell. You do not hit with a sidewinder. That really, I found strange, okay, particularly if it's Chinese tech. Now, if it's extraterrestrial tech, hmm, it's a little bit interesting there. You still would like to have it. You still would like to see it, okay? But... The other problem they have is once the stuff is on the ground and they don't know exactly where it's going to land, the more intact it is, the more of a problem it is if it's extraterrestrial. And so they choose to blow the damn thing out of the sky with a $500,000 sidewinder. Okay, the A9. I, I prefer the A8, but you know, it's just me. <laughs> and so now the problem is the tech is on the ground. Now, it was fortunately for them, and I don't think they could have planned this. I mean, it could have landed in somebody's swimming pool, but it landed in some pretty remote areas. Okay, that's a good one. Well, they say it landed offshore on the ice because this time of year, the sea ice around Prudhoe Bay is solid. It's like several feet thick. So it landed on the ice, and they should have just been able to walk out and pick it up. Whatever. Prudhoe Bay is kind of a lot further away. It said it landed in Santa Monica. Okay. So it landed still pretty remote. That's good for them. Very it remote. Intentional. Yeah. They may have shot it down intentionally in a, in a way that it would land in fairly remote areas. Okay. Now the tech is on the ground. All right. And now it's a matter of getting to it. All right. Get to that tech before anybody else does. <clears throat> However damaged it might be from, from the Why does this remind line. me of Ice Station Zebra? Super film. Uh, was a great film. Oh, was a great super film. Okay, so in other words, now the problem is this. If it's Chinese tech, and eventually, they, once they get the tech, people are caught up. They can't simply, if they get that tech and simply say, look, we've got it, we found it, but it's all classified. Nobody is going to live with that. It's going to be hell, right? It's going to be really hell. If it's Chinese tech... It's not such a bad problem because it'll be along the lines of, look, the reason we don't want to tell you it's Chinese tech because then that really puts the pin on the Chinese. They're going to start shooting down our stuff, and we're going to have a drone war going on here. You know, or something along those lines. But if it's ET tech, oh, boy, oh, boy. Well, they obviously can't say that. 
And so I was thinking that is their biggest problem. And so technically they can't, they can't find it or they can't admit they found it. And that's what they are doing. First, they say we may never find it. And now they've cut off the search. So, and, and I'm, do they want to do this? Well, wait a minute. No. Wait, 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 wait. You said on the other side of the break that we're not back in the 1940s, 1950s. It, that's true because the president signed this NDAA, which basically allows anybody in the chain of command to blow the whistle. We've got no, it, and it it's amazing. No, it doesn't, Dick. It does not do that. Yes, it I, does. I'm sorry. It does not do it, that. Uh, we, you are wrong on this, Stephen, my friend. And I've got, I've got no less an authority than Barbara Honiger, formerly of the Reagan White House, to tell you how you are wrong. But let's proceed with your scenarios. Yeah, we can get back to that later. All right, so obviously the record is the biggest problem. And at this point, it's looked like they're trying to hold off on it. Uh, they're trying to – So they're trying to buy time. And they're buying time, yeah. Now, what they want to do is they want to get it, get all of it, possible, get it back, and then try to decide what to do. By by emphasizing how difficult it would be to find it at all, uh, and all of that, they're trying. They're dissuading uh, some uh, uh, bounty hunters to go on their own trying to find it. With a snowmobile yeah. and a caribou and a dog sled, the whole nine yards, yeah. So the wreckage is the problem, and if it's ET, it's a particularly significant problem. But if it's ET, if it's ET wreckage, however condition it's in, it sends a very clear message to both the Department of Defense and the White House. Look, guys, we understand your problem. We know how difficult this is. You're making some progress here. We haven't gone away. We're still around. We can do anything we want whenever we want. So... You probably should get those hearings going. So you're saying in your scenario number two what I've been saying for a week, which is this could have been a deliberate gift from upstairs. A deliberate 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 strategy. Well, that's a a gift. Come on. It's a gift of the disclosure process. Yeah, it is. Um, So that's scenario two. Uh, Scenario three is is really – scenario three is not significant. It, It involves the fact that not everybody knows this, is that there is such thing as fixed body uh, aircraft or, or what do you call them? Uh, fixed air, wing. Fixed yeah, wing. Words, yes, not fixed wing, fixed body. In other words, we know what a balloon is. You pump it up and you pump it up and pump it up and it's got enough helium and off it sails. But it's possible to, if you have light enough material to build something that is fixed, it's not a balloon, you pump it up with a whole bunch of helium, and it will actually float. And so it's essentially a fixed-body floating entity, okay. which would travel pretty slow, be very silent, and would be a pretty potentially a pretty effective surveillance thing, right? No means of propulsion, but when you when the damn thing is floating like a balloon, essentially, it would take very little power to, to maneuver it. And so it could be that. And we've got these fixed body column drones that are actually floating like balloons because they're pumped up with helium or hydrogen. And that's the third possibility, which is not obviously the government where it's been divulged that and they'll make you go crap. Beyond those three, Dick, I got nothing. Hmm. Okay, I think it's time to bring in Barbara, because Barbara had a conversation on the kind of inside this afternoon. But she has mm-hmm. experience in Washington 
at the White House level, and she has a really interesting uh, door number four. So, Barbara Honiger, I think I've given you appropriate approbation. You've been all over the Washington policy scene. You're front and center in terms of the chairmanship of the Lawyers Committee for Disclosure on 9-11. You have roots and expertise in high-level policy at the government level, Washington, D.C., going back decades. And you are uh, a holder of a a degree in parapsychology. And we're actually in, in charge of a NASA panel of one kind or another, I always forget the details, back during the Reagan years, and you have some very interesting info and thoughts on this discussion. Hi, Richard. Can you hear me? We can hear you wonderfully. Yeah, I I, I think I might take a little exception that I am an authority on this subject. Um, I definitely um, have a background that's relevant, but I haven't been in the federal government for, for a very long time, but like uh, Steve, and I'm sure, and I know yourself and other guests as well, um, I'm extremely well read and uh, have a nose for what's, you know, be, being uh, hidden, if you will. Um, so I'd just like to first off say that the most interesting thing to me, and I and I believe that Steve just said this. I mean, he he went on for quite a long time, and I. And I'm not sure uh, I I would let him say yes or no, this is what he said. But I think that if you were to draw a line and what's the bottom line is that um, on the one hand, um, it comes out that between the lines or explicitly with unidentified sources, um, this is in the mainstream news now, that the Chinese balloon was just one of many that we've known about for a long time. And we learned that, oh, there were at least two during the Trump administration, but they didn't know about it. And the reason was is that they were classified as UFOs, and they went into that special Elizondo task force, and which was a black hole, a classified black hole. And so, number one, um, it was a the Chinese weather balloon um, was just one of many. Uh, and But the other three, they want you to believe one of two things. They want you to believe that uh, the other three, we don't know what they are, that we allegedly shot them down. They allegedly were objects, and yet there's presumably no debris. So in your item number eight, I'm going to read from the critical <laughs> excerpt in that article, which is called... <laughs> It's called weather balloons or UFOs. Government calls off search for objects. Again, they're assuming they're objects down uh, in Alaska and Lake Huron. Okay, so here's the critical excerpt. Wait, wait, I, North- I, I just noticed something. What? The Canadian object is not part of the list because it was another country. It's Canada. It's the Yukon. The Mounties may get their man yet. And, and one of your articles actually says so that the FBI is waiting for the Canadian authorities to find the debris up there and um, share them, or at least the information about them, with the FBI and, you know, our intelligence agency. But let me read this critical uh, excerpt from your item number eight, which is titled, Weather Balloons or UFOs Government Calls Off Search for Objects Downed in Alaska and Lake Huron, which you're correct, are only the two U.S. territory uh, objects or alleged objects rather than the one that was over uh, Canada. Okay, so here's that critical excerpt. 
Northern Command. I have something to say about Northern Command here in a minute because it was created because of 9-11. didn't exist until just after 9-11. But Northern Command said later, that's U.S. Northern Command, said that the decision to end the search for the objects, allegedly objects, shot down over Alaska and Lake Huron came after the U.S. and Canada conducted, conducted systematic searches of each area using a variety of capabilities, including airborne imagery and sensors, surface sensors and inspection, subsurface scans. In other words, the most high technology we have <laughs> and allegedly didn't locate a single piece of debris. Weird. Okay. Now, if it's not enough, now you started out the show by misstating my position. Oh. I'm not claiming that these are an objects. I'm just making sure that everybody keeps an open mind that they might they might not be. Because if they if they are a combination of highly advanced some kind of um some kind of holographic projection, right. number one. Right. And Whatever they, whatever this is, has the capability of simultaneously spoofing our um, electromagnetic sensors, which these articles say that it did. Yep. Then it can be a non-object that acts like an object. And if you, if you wanted to attack the United States, and you wanted us to, to use our high, highly uh, advanced and expensive fighter jets and missiles or whatever to go after non-entities that spoof our detection systems to believe that they're objects, then this is exactly what you would do. And you would test how we react to them. Okay? So I just wanted to point that out. There's another very, very important quote from your item number four, and I'm going to read that. Quote, we are called, this is the White House uh, National Security spokesperson, John Kirby, okay? We're calling this an object, that is the Alaska object. We're calling this an object because that's the best description we have right now, okay? We're calling this an object. Mm. So I just want to open people's minds whenever we talk about unidentified flying objects. Keep in mind that the very acronym UFO with the O referring to object could be a, an immense psychological operation itself. I think that's very important to keep in mind. Um, I don't know if my own item is up yet, um, but I'm going to read the, um, the key excerpt from it and hopefully... Keith will be able to get it up if it isn't already, because I only have one. When I saw how many you had, Richard, I just added this one. And this is from yesterday's New York Times, February 17th, page A9, in the print edition. And uh, this is the key quote. At times, the government's existing task force on unidentified aerial phenomenon, i.e. the Elizondo task force in the Pentagon uh, up until whatever it was, 2017 or so, and then the new task force due, uh, based upon the recent uh, the recent. Yeah, uh, Barbara, let me hang, uh, please stop just for a second, pause. Uh, yeah. Robert has to leave us uh, oh. uh, there in Florida. It's getting late, and he uh, laid out his uh, very interesting data. The fact okay, that I have Washington... a question for Robert before he goes. Okay, so you guys, uh, Robert, are you still with us? Mr. Stanley. Unmute. I... 
think he may have had to go. No, nope, he's, he's gone. Okay. He said he's gone. Okay. Well, I wanted to know, maybe you heard it, but I couldn't clearly. Why did he choose the belt of Orion to express his frustration towards? Oh, because I think part of the literature says that Orion is where they, one of the they's, comes from. And there, of course, is this deep involvement with Sirius, the Orion yeah. complex, Aldebaran yeah. in ancient Egyptian history, Isis, yeah, the Sirius mystery, all that. So I think that's, that's why he was focused on Orion. Well, that's the reason I asked the question, because you and I have done three programs on this yep. Orion-Sirius complex yep. and the importance at, at Giza. Okay. Um, so anyway... So reading this uh, this key here, at times the government's existing task force on unidentified aerial phenomenon, and by that they mean also going back to the Elizondo task force, has seemed less than critical as a national security effort. But, this is the New York Times, but the downing of the Chinese spy balloon and the presumed, I add presumed, scientific research balloons, the other three, has infused the work of what they called the UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force, with additional national security importance. Some of the priorities, in fact, that the that Biden mentioned on Thursday, that's yesterday, uh, two days ago now, like cataloging the inventory of unmanned and unidentified airborne objects, again, assuming they're objects, are items the task force has already long been working on, unquote. Now, I want to remind people in that first, I believe it was the first, congressional uh, hearing with the um, with the representatives from what is the current new uh, UAP task force, okay? If you recall, one of the things that was proposed as a possibility in their analysis was that the, again, presumed objects that were coming into secured U.S. military exercise areas, okay, airspace, could be surveillance craft of foreign countries. China wasn't mentioned, but that was clearly implied. Yes. So, so, and I've mentioned before on this show with Steve Bassett before, I don't think we can rule out, and, I, and frankly, if I were the president, I probably, you know, would have seriously considered it. Um, I don't think we can rule out that we have a highly secret, or have had, until we shot down the Chinese balloon, <laughs> Um, but for a very long time, we've had, probably with other countries besides China, but certainly with China, a secret agreement that they can monitor our airspace if we get to monitor theirs with these balloons, because we can already do it with satellites. Well, kind of like Eisenhower's old open skies proposal to exactly. the Soviets back in the 1950s, where the Russians turned us down. And that's yes. when Eisenhower turned to the CIA and the Air Force and Project Corona, the spy satellite business, was born. Yes, exactly. So if, in fact, we've had, and it would make sense, um, if we had this agreement, which the Chinese may have been taking unfair and undue advantage of by having better technology to monitor our military exercises in our secured military exercise airspace, which is what 
the last hearing uh, testimony referred to as a serious possibility, then we have a theirs. In other words, their technology is more advanced to surveil us than vice versa, which may be one reason that we shoot this thing down. But if we have had such a secret agreement with the Chinese and perhaps others, but we're talking about the Chinese here, um, for some time, then the fact that we have now shot down their balloon is actually a very dangerous thing because I'm sure that they're no longer allowing ours over their airspace, if so. So are you focusing your attention on the balloon or the three other objects that, frankly, I think are far more interesting? Well, right now, I was just, of course, focusing on, on the balloon. But the three other objects, the, there, there are two major possibilities. And I think these are the po- at least two of the possibilities that uh, Steve mentioned. Uh, one of them is, is, that, is that our government knows exactly what they were, and they don't want anybody to know, including Congress. Okay, that's number one. Number two is um, there's no debris because they weren't objects. Your projection model, which is... Very appealing given that there's, quote, no debris, although I don't believe for an instant that there is no debris because I think Steve is right when he said they just got out there, scarfed it up, and are putting out a cover story, which is well, not going to – Well, that was my first option that I just mentioned. Either they have the debris and they don't want anybody know, to know what it is, and one of the reasons they might not – there are a lot of reasons, but the obvious one is if one or more of them – uh, was Chinese, they want to tamp this whole thing down on both sides. And so they're claiming they don't have the debris. And if they if they get people to believe they don't have the debris and they just said the same thing to Congress, um, you know, in the classified session that, um, that Senator Kennedy uh, revealed in one of your items. But see, how how in this current NDAA environment can they ensure that nobody spills the beans? That's what I don't understand. Well, what if there aren't any beans to spill? That, that's one of the reasons that I think there might not have been debris. Yeah, but I think that Steve and I are thinking they're just covering up getting debris. I think we're, well, that's, that's you know, my, I, my preference for, for a bunch of reasons, I think there's real debris. What I want, well, I, I need to ask, number one, I need to ask, I need, debris and they're covering it up. Yeah, but see, political reasons. but the cover up will not be maintained under the current political legal regime with the well, signing of the NDAA or, or will it? Steve, I need to ask you a very specific question. I really yeah. like your, your scenario. Number one, the Chinese have anti-gravity because I know we've had it going back through, uh, through T Townsend Brown. Why would they risk exactly what's happened? In other words, they float a surveillance device on an anti-gravity field over the U.S. and we grab it. How could they guarantee that we don't unless there was some kind of agreement and somebody really broke the protocol and blew the agreement to kingdom come? Uh, I've been thinking about this while uh, Barbara was talking. Uh, something did occur to me. Uh, we, we talk a lot about we've, been re, we've re-engineered some of the tech and developed anti-gravitics of, of some kind that we can use in some form or fashion. Uh, I happen to believe that's true. All right, let, let's assume the Chinese have done that. Let's assume that they've built drones using that anti-gravitic. And so they're surveilling us with anti-gravitic drones. Well, that's pretty very helpful in terms of doing surveillance, right? And let's say we've known that. 
let's say that in general we we we've we're, may know it and maybe be doing the same thing. This poses a very interesting problem. Let's say, for whatever reason, they felt they had to shoot these things down, knowing that they were anti-gravitic Chinese drones, and that and and so the wreckage gets found, right? And what comes out is two things: it's Chinese. You see the CCCP there? Mm-hmm. It's Chinese. You go, okay, fine. Oh, and by the way, it's anti-gravitic because if, if it became known that the Chinese had anti-gravitic, everybody will instantly connect the dots and realize so does the U.S., and that's because we have had crash vehicles. The ET thing is real, and all hell breaks loose. Now, ha- hang on, hang on. I, I, let me insert something I was told many years ago by someone on the inside with the background to know, a member of the deep state, the intelligence community, etc. He said, and I've mm-hmm. quoted several times on the show, they, meaning these deep staters, would rather lose a major American city to nuclear terrorism than admit this technology. And there was a time, maybe. I don't think that's the case now. I think I think another way of putting this is this: the ETs come and go at will. Okay, they come and go. They do whatever the hell they want, but they tend to stay within certain limits. In other words, uh, one at one time, you know, hung over the O'Hare Airport, and then took off. I was kind of bold. The United Airlines incident. Yeah, they overall the ET activity is such that they do not push it beyond a certain point. Now, if the Chinese, on the other hand, have any gravitics. They may not be willing to be so circum, uh, how would you say, reasonable. And so Chinese flying anti-gravity craft around, craft without any means of propulsion, that really creates a problem for our government in terms of the pace that it's following to get the disclosure. It's really toying with it. It's playing with this. It's it's because it, the public is going to look at those things and go, our pilots are going to say, oh my God, that's a that's an anti-gravity craft. It has a means of propulsion, and there it is doing 100 to 500 miles an hour. And so it's like the Chinese playing with us over the issue of of the ET presence and disclosure, which would have irritated our government quite substantially. And so the message would be, hey, look, don't screw with this. We're doing we're doing fine. We're going to have hearings soon. We're going to get this out. So keep your damn anti-gravity drones out of our airspace for now, because if you keep we'll, we'll shoot the, we'll shoot the, shoot them down. This is this is an explanation that that, that resonates with me. Um, and again, the wreckage would be a problem. I mean, they could probably demonstrate it's Chinese, and they could hide the fact that there's anti-gravitics, okay? But in general, it's still not something they wanted to do with. The one thing I, I think I invited everybody to take from this is, look, this isn't a planned U.S. maneuver. This isn't a false flag. Hmm. You are seeing a government utterly flummoxed by a series of events they didn't see coming and trying to make the best out of a terrible situation. What's that old expression, a life is what happens when you're making plans? My guest this morning, Steve Bassett, Barbara Honiger, uh, Robert Stanley had to leave. We're so sorry, but he made very valuable points and contributions. And look at his section for his data on UFOs over the Capitol between 1952 and 2022. When we return, we've got David Surreal on deck. Um, We've got Keith Morgan, who has another scenario that he deliberately did not tell me this afternoon what it is. I didn't want him to leave it on the cutting room floor. So he's going to regale us with his idea, having watched this whole thing go down and having lived in Washington for all his life. 
worked at ABC for a guy we all know, Ted Koppel. So that's all waiting to come back. When we return, you're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. Do not touch that dial. This is Karen Carpenter with one of my favorite songs. We are your friends. midnight.com talk radio with pictures on demand liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought join club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the other side of midnight. The witching hour has arrived in the land of enchantment, which is gorgeous this time of year. Snow dapple mountains and warm days. And we're talking ETs or Chinese, but in any rate, we're talking very interesting potentials in exotic tech. And we're talking a U.S. government position which has scrambled over the last week or two to try to figure out and come to grips with what's really going on. And they have brought politically, and I want to go back to Steve and then we're going to go to David. What do you think of the idea that now the Biden administration has officially brought the concept of UFOs and policy and shoot down orders and protocols for how to handle what's upstairs officially into the White House of the United States of America. Purple can be out of it. Uh, they want to stay neutral. They don't want to stick their nose into it. Uh, and this has forced their hand. Uh, you, you just can't be the president and have something like this happen and just say, well, uh, well, the DOD will deal with it. It's okay. No. So they've taken some action. They form a little task force within the White House, tiny compared to the arrow 
program that's for the interagency working group that's being set up to show that they care, uh, that it, it's meaningful to them. And all of this is goosing the process. There's no question. I mean, the Chinese might have been flying their own anti-gravitic drones just like that in order to advance the process, to push us. Maybe they want disclosure more than we do. I don't know. But clearly, we've reached a point where the truth embargo as a viable policy is just no longer viable at all. It's falling apart. And the sooner we get, get it over with and get the announcement out, the sooner the governments can chill a little bit and we can have some normalcy and move forward and learn about the ETs. So what would you say, again, political prediction is very, very scary and dangerous, certainly these days with Republicans in charge of one house, the Democrats in charge of the other house, Democrats in the White House. Um, mm -hmm. Hearings in the House are a debacle. I mean, if anybody was to hold yeah. a, a hearing on this, would anybody pay attention or would it would be ridiculed from one end to the other because it would have to be controlled by the Republicans and they haven't shown themselves to be too serious uh, lately about any kind of hearing. So it would have to be in the Senate to be in sync sure. with the White House, right? The Senate is where the hearings are going to be. Uh, and the Senate Intel Committee is where I'll start. The Senate Intel Committee is is – uh, uh, well known that it's it's very much of a nonpartisan operation. It's much much uh, both of the both the Republican and the Democrat are essentially co-chairs. But it's the most important, most brief, most powerful. We we've already learned from a number of witnesses that they have been asked to come to Washington and interview pre-interview with Harrow. That's extremely important. Uh, and then after that, I would expect them to pre-interview with the staff of one of the committees, probably the Intel Committee. Now, why, why do they do this? Before you put any witness in front of the cameras under oath, you need to know basically what their testimony is. You need to talk to them, and what are you going to talk about? What are you going to say? What are the issues? Okay. doesn't mean you're trying to censor them. doesn't mean you're trying to, to intimidate them. You just need to have that basic testimony. And that allows them, allows the members of the Senate Intel Committee, uh, the people on the committee, to to formulate questions in advance, to be to in, interview them intelligently. It also gives the DoD a, a sense of what's going on as well, so they don't get surprised. Now, once those witnesses, and the ones that you need to watch for, the nuclear witnesses, Bob Salas and company, once they sit down and take their second oath, you know, the first one being when they signed up to serve. The second one being when they sit down at that table, they'll say whatever the hell they want. And the members of the committee will ask whatever they want. It's not scripted in that sense. And they will tell the truth. Uh, if, there, if there's something they can't talk publicly about, they'll simply refer to talking in a, in a, in a, into a class, in a classified setting. Uh, and once those hearings start, you can count the days to disclosure. And so that's the next major thing to look for. Uh, I could, you could happen at any time. Okay, question. I think it'll be Do you think it's on track now, or there will be need to be another precipitating event to bring it into the senatorial realm? No, we don't need a precipitating event. They're doing just fine. The last thing they wanted was what just happened. I mean, my God, this is not something they wanted. Uh, it's it's it, it, it certainly demonstrates that um the need to proceed they need to get this done well but between uh, now and and summer or maybe early fall the biggest thing facing the country is this it's their debt ceiling crisis 
and I don't see how any other object or, or, or subject will get, you know, oxygen unless there is a precipitating event like happened with Gerald Ford back in the 1960s when there were congressional hearings because of the sightings over Michigan. I would think it would need yeah. another event to trigger to have it take precedence on the runway to what the, the nation needs to focus on, which is not defaulting for the first time in 246 years. And, uh, There's another precipitating event coming. Say again? There's a, the, the most likely major event is a week from yesterday, which is the anniversary of the oh, Russian invasion. Ukraine, 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 yes, of course. And if that happens or if there's a major escalation, that's going to take center stage. Yeah, let me let me be clear. Any number of things could happen in the Ukraine, which would take center stage and delay things. The, the debt ceiling is not a crisis. It can be settled in about two days. You just sit down and, and vote and, and get it done. That's not I a agree. crisis. Ukraine is a crisis, okay? That is a crisis. One tactical nuke used by some lunatic commander in the field, and my God, God knows where it goes. So, but if well, that the, the destruction that that would, uh, would require for the U.S. and NATO, if that were to happen, because we would probably, the pressure on us would be tremendous in NATO to escalate, that's when China yes. would act on Taiwan. And there have been lots of these balloons over Taiwan. You're right, Barbara. Uh, again, uh, we're racing. You know, I, I've talked for years and years about the two clocks, doomsday clock, which is nuclear war. Uh, Bolton of atomic scientists recently, they put it at 90 seconds, closest ever. And my paradigm clock, which I launched in 2006, which is mid-90s disclosure. And uh, we have been, those two clocks have been racing against each other all of these years and the irony is i don't know if, I, I don't think i don't know if it's an accident or not I, I think it's just ironic that they are both approaching midnight at the same time they're they're so close it's neck and neck to see which one crosses the finish line first which i find interesting i think uh, it might be by design that they are neck and neck i think it might be by design that they are neck and neck maybe uh i think i don't know i don't know i know that I'm not the only one. I mean, there are plenty of people in, in hot smart people in our Department of Defense and Department of State and all that stuff that know full well that we're going to have a nuclear war. It's almost inevitable unless something very dramatic happens to change the uh, global calculations. And here's nothing even remotely. But, but, it, but that's my very point. Um, yeah. The the Maelstrom Air Force Base incidents and and the mirror image incidents in the former Soviet Union, now Russia, um, sure. th that implies that if there really is a they, that they that they have uh, inter interfered isn't the right word that they have um, intervened. Intervened. They have intervened. They have actually prevented. They have. What they did at Maelstrom and what they did in the former Soviet Union, at Maelstrom not only shutting down our missiles, but I'm told <clears throat> that when they got into the system, um, not only were the missiles shut down, but when they were brought back up, when they, when they finally brought them back up, that the targets had been changed so hmm. that they would boomerang on us. 
This is not something that I am aware of, and I'm aware of the evidence on this pretty well. Uh, I have to do research on that. I know that they've turned them off repeatedly, which is not preventing anything. It didn't prevent anything. It just turned them off, and we turn them back on. Yeah, but wouldn't it be a really great way to get somebody's attention? Wouldn't it be great if – No. Guys, guys, guys. They're sending a message. If someone outside did exactly what Barbara just described – it's the quickest way to bring a nuclear war to a standstill because you don't, you can't launch first, first strike because you don't know if the damn missiles are not going to turn around and hit Moscow and Washington. I again, I do not know anything about reorienting the targets. I know that they shut them down. I know on at least two occasions, one in the U.S., one in the Soviet Union, where they actually set them into launch sequence, uh, uh, launch yeah. sequence, but scared the hell out of them. Yeah, and then shut it down. Well, my source on that, just for the record, um, was the computer genius uh, and programming genius at the Naval Postgraduate School. I don't feel that I'm at liberty to give the name, um, but I could off the record. Um, But um, he was, because of his expertise, um, he was part of the team that um, did the programming to target and choosing the targets of our of our missiles. So this is a reliable inside source, Stephen. And if you and I hadn't heard about it in the general conversation, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. It means that security really meant something back then. I'll I'll I'll, I'll acknowledge that, but let me let me let me approach it from a from my perspective. Something like that has such massive exopolitical implications. Yeah, of course. That thou shalt not have a nuclear war on our watch. I know, but when you when you're talking about implications of that level, you need somebody not to just be an unnamed source. They've got to come out. They've got to provide the documents and the evidence showing it, and then it can be considered. Until then, I, I it's it's too speculative. And the implications I'm, I'm not great. advocating so, uh, for it. I'm just reporting. We're laying a lot of speculation not, on not, the not, table tonight, Stephen. Come on, come on. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. In your scenario, before. these I'm guys, just, these AET guys, lay down like a dog in a parking lot and let us walk all over them as part of helping disclosure. That's a wonderful speculation. We have zero data. Uh, again, I'm just not on speculation. I'm simply saying. When it, in, in some cases, uh, there's another. You know, there's a lot of examples like this. So I can't, I can't dispel it. But it's one of those things where even talking about it. If you really wanted to intervene, if you really wanted to intervene from an extraterrestrial perspective, violating the Prime Directive, which of course Gene didn't make up out of whole cloth, one of the really cool ways to get everybody's attention on both sides is when the missiles came back up. The targets are on their own homeland. That would get their attention like nothing else would. So it fits uh, with the model. We just don't know at the moment whether it actually occurred because Barbara has one source. But the source yeah, is yeah. very – even if, even if that wasn't true, and I don't know. However, I knew this person for decades, and we worked at the Navy school together at a very high level. Um, even if it weren't true, the very fact that we do know from multiple sources, from the Disclosure Project and the Paradigm Research and all of that, um, it's been known for years that these, you know, the red orb, when the red orb appeared, 
the missiles were shut down. I mean, yeah, yeah. do it in a non in a non uh, DEFCON one situation. They could do it in a DEFCON two or one situation too. It's obvious. Look, the the, the fact that they turned them off repeatedly, both here in the in, in Soviet Union, the fact that on a couple of occasions they've actually set them into long sequence. That in and of itself is extraordinarily significant. Yes. Any, you know, anything upon that is like, you know, uh, so that enough is more than enough that every single one of the living witnesses, starting with Bob Salat, have got to be featured at the first. Okay, guys, I, 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 I hate to interrupt, but we've got David Sarita, and I want Keith to get to his model. So let me introduce okay. David into this conversation because he brings a whole different perspective. His father was Dr. Lynn Sarita, Ph.D., uh, at UC Berkeley, and his father instilled in all his kids a very interesting spiritual side to life, and that David has taken and kind of melded with high technology. He's actually producing in his own facilities what I would call hyperdimensional technologies. He's gone on far more public media than you can count. He has produced and, and uh, uh, appeared in UFO documentaries for decades. Uh, David, you've been watching uh, everything that's been going on for the last week or so, and you and I had a very brief conversation, and you've listened to, obviously, all of us tonight spouting off our theories and our speculations with very little real data. What is your take on where we are tonight in the biggest question is, has the disclosure process been advanced by anything that's happened over the last two weeks? Well, first of all, I wouldn't give China the credit without proof because it's very dangerous militarily to give them that power um, by just because we don't know who it is. We say it must be China. Now, would China send a balloon if they had anti-gravity drones that can move? Like I was in a meeting with Dan Aykroyd, um, Louis Elizondo came into the meeting and Bobby Kennedy Jr. Jr. on Zoom. This was recently. And I asked Louis Ondo, I mean, because this particular statistic has been all over the place on in different um, publications and also in different uh, media appearances. And he clarified for me, on radar, the Tic Tacs dropped from above 80,000 feet to the deck sea level in 0.78 seconds. And that's over 68,000 miles an hour. Now, none of our missiles can come anywhere near that, nowhere near. In fact, Minuteman... It's still the fastest missile on the earth. It's faster than the Russian ICBMs, and it hits 18,000 miles an hour. And the Russian hypersonic missiles can hit allegedly six, 7,000 miles an hour, but those are tactical missiles. And those wouldn't touch 68,000 miles an hour at all. Now, also, we had a, a case where um, Commander David Fravor and um, Kevin Day stated in this Netflix series that Stephen Bassett appeared in, and they said they saw a UAP jump 60 miles in a second on radar, and that's 216,000 miles an hour. So the class, you look at performance and put a performance chart together, and you'll see that, one, it, firstly, we don't use missiles to shoot these things down. Going back to the FBI files declassified, um, on Tesla. The Tesla death ray was taken to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base um, just after Tesla's death, which is pre-Roswell and pre-atomic bomb. That would be 1943. And I have those files in my possession. So this is, this is evidence of a beam-type weapon 
Um, Boyd Bushman, who worked at Lockheed Martin for over 20 years, told me on camera that he um, had a friend who was a Navy pilot who was treating a no, a Navy doctor who was treating a young pilot, he used a beam weapon to take down the Roswell UFO. So let's go way forward. Now, th there were some very important points brought up today. And I have to, because there's not a lot of time, I want to get through some really important points. So when you go to the 1952 July incident of, of the uh, UFOs of the Capitol, guess what July 19th to the 20th, uh, 19, July 12th to the 29th is the series of sightings over Washington. That's the anniversary of not only um, the, the, the detonation of the first atomic bomb at Trinity, which is July 22nd, five, this is five years later, the anniversary, but we're only a few months away from detonating the hydrogen bomb, which would be three months later. So again, what Barbara was saying... This wait, is, wait, 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 this David, is, what, Trinity was on July 16th. Okay, there, there's different dates for it. I've actually no, no, no. It's time. right. It, in, it's okay. It's so July lost. 16th, but the sightings. See, to me, Washington. to me, the 20th was much more important because it's mythologically Osiris's birthday, the ancient Egyptian connection to Washington, oh, wow. to the monument, the George Washington Monument, the presidency itself, based on ancient Egyptian mythology. The whole idea of the president, the first of the Westerners. To me, the reason 52 stands out is they appeared in en masse, incredible, impressive strength on the particular day that we then chose decades later to land on the moon. Come on. Yeah, right. And there's there's two sightings there. Again, that's an anniversary week that coincides yep, yep, yep. with a little bit of time between Trinity and Roswell. Very important point because – Which tells only... me whoever showed up in 52 was connected somehow to the deep, deep history of humanity itself. We're not talking aliens. We're talking right, – And we're, we're only months away from, remember, first the, the first H-bomb test. Yep. <laughs> we're all... Yes. So they're 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 on our case, right? And these are not the Chinese. I mean, we're not we're not talking about Chinese. Okay, yet. so we eliminate scenario number one from Stephen. Okay, Swift. so you get. Let's not give China the credit yet. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying I know. Steve is right. Those are good scenarios, but we don't know yet because again, we see everything that moves on on satellites. If we saw China had a base where things are taken off off the ground at incredible speed and hovering and back and landing on some base, we would see it. Um, I when I when I look at the velocity performance on these UAPs going over 68,000 miles an hour, and looking at the speed of our tactical missiles like a Sidewinder, you're not going to hit them. You're not going to hit anything with a Sidewinder. So that may be a cover story, by the way. That, and why there's no debris, Barbara, is because you're right. There is no debris. You couldn't hit one of these things with a sidewinder. Now they there's. Let's go. Where hang that, on, hang okay? on. Let's let's limb this out for people that may not okay. be as technologically, shall we say, far out as we are. Barbara, in 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 place of the projection model, suppose these things were like um, lures. Or, or you know, uh, flypaper, to use a Star Trek term. And as soon as the pilot launched his sidewinder, the object literally went sideways 
five, five, ten miles away. And it appeared as if the missile hit something, but it was much too fast for sensors to track, for radar to lock on, for the pilot to see. And, of course, it was just playing cat and mouse. My question again is, why would we have an order to shoot these objects down? I think probably just to cover your ass for the president, because he was already receiving such flack. So we're uh, looking at stupid human pet tricks of uh, ultimate stupidity by the chain of command to make the commander in chief look good. Yeah, that was, that's my point. Okay. Yeah, but see, we have. I went into Rand Corporation to do a simple job one day. You know, I showed. I mean, I've been on five different military bases, working for physicists Bogdan, Castle, Magwitch over a course of 22 years, and I, I went into Rand Corporation to do a job. And you won't believe what I'm doing. They send me in there because this woman doesn't know Adobe InDesign, and she's building <laughs> a brochure on how to operate a handheld M16 size laser gun, not a theoretical weapon, but how to operate. I'm freaking reading this. I'm like, you guys let me in here. We have these freaking things. And this is, this is 15 years ago. So when you go back to the Tesla death ray and you go to the idea of beam weapons that can, that we know we use to take down these, these craft from time to time, I don't buy into a little missile that can't go very fast at all because it might go, I don't know how the sidewinder is probably not more than 3,500 miles an hour. Um, so it, it, those, those ideas are old ideas. Now, if you're trying to hit some kid's drone and the idea of, Hey, look, let's look at our map again. Cause I put it in the, I put it in the chat and I put it in the, um, you can see, the map of where Noah says, this is the Chinese balloon came all the way down from China, crossed right into Alaska through Northern British Columbia and came right actually over Northern Idaho and into Montana. That, that's what this Noah model um, projects. And it, you can just click on it in the chat now. Which is up for atmosphere weather currents. You know what's interesting about this particular location is where did the Roswell chase start? It started in Idaho, actually. A United Airlines pilot sees these UFOs out his window, and then in that was actually, I believe, in June, and then it all of a sudden nine UFOs appear. We're talking um, June 1947. Yeah, June 1947. Then there's the Ken Arnold in, in Yakima, Washington. Then there's July 4th over Portland. Then where the UFOs, they, they made the papers. They're chasing these things all over the country. Then they eventually are over Edwards Air Force Base, which I verified in, in FOA documents that I have in my possession. And then it was over, of course, Roswell, New Mexico, and the three sites that the UFOs crashed around Trinity. Now we have a new case that came out, which is very close to the timing of the detonation of Trinity. So with that, there is a massive history, because I live just north of northern Idaho right now. I've been here for 10 years after I left Sedona 10 years ago. So this region has constant, incredible sightings. I've, I've met people here who saw a giant spherical luminous orb hovering above their barn at 2 in the morning this family that I met when we first came here. And there are sightings in what's called the Eastern Kootenai Band of Mountains that go back to the early 40s that were consistent 
going on even before the time of Roswell. So I, I'm going to set another hypothesis. And again, this is a hypothesis. You, you can't necessarily prove this, but that possibly ETs have set up bases in regions where there's precious metals and not necessarily, like you said, Richard, because we got more metal on, on these asteroids than we do in the Earth. But because they're also, they have bases here and they have a need for metallurgy for their technology. And perhaps they have bases in these mountain ranges. And let's say, because now I'm going to go to my next scenario, which is when we've, the we've Earth, actually got about 30 seconds. So why do we hold it there? My guess. Okay, let's hold it there because we're going to go to the Earth's inner core and how would that coincide excellent, with excellent. Turkey okay. and how all of a sudden these things are coming out of the woodworks. Okay. My guest of the morning at the moment, we've had a sterling lineup, Robert Stanley, Stephen Bassett, Barbara Honiger. Uh, the latter two are still with us, and we're going to have a free-for-all in the last half hour. We've got Keith's model. I want to hear Keith's model as to what he thinks could be going on. When we come back, we're going to come back to David Sarita, and he's going to talk about the unique geology of central Canada, where something may be lurking. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. everyone on this uh, now Saturday, Sunday night, grading into Sunday morning. You're on the other side of midnight. My guest uh, currently on the runway is David Sarita. And David, you were going to talk about why southern Canada, just above the U.S. border, as a place where something interesting might be occurring. Okay, so we, I mean, I studied the history of this area. And again, 
I mean, we even had a case right here where my second daughter, Astoria, was born. It was in the newspaper one morning. These fishermen were up early, and they see the thing coming, and they think it's a meteor, and it goes straight into the mountain and doesn't make a sound, meaning it went interdimensionally into the mountain. And so we we have so many cases here that I, I'm beginning to think that there is there are bases in these mountains. There are incredible stories in Alberta that have made the newspaper of these super bright orbs coming in and out of the mountains. Now, let's, when you go up to the Yukon, so let's look at our map again that we have, and you can see where these cases following the Chinese balloon, because that was a Chinese balloon, you know, at least allegedly, because you can't necessarily believe everything you hear. But it was a 200-foot balloon with a 2,000, several thousand, actually several tons of payload, from what I understand. And weather balloons might be 10 to 20 feet. This is a 200-foot balloon. Now, you got to understand, what if China is actually spying on UAP bases. Oh, now that's an interesting idea. Right, because look what happens. The hang Earth on, hang on. Let me, let, me, let, let me move your, your idea sideways. Mm-hmm. We know, those of us that have looked at this very heavily, that we are not the first high-tech civilization on Earth. If you're an ET and you know that there's somehow a connection between our ancient, ancient history and your ancient, ancient history – and you're interested in kind of trying to figure out who are these guys, wouldn't you maybe want to go where there were ancient buried archives or bases or remains of a previous ancient high-tech epic of human civilization, not to set up a base, but to basically mine the knowledge, the technology, the libraries, the history, the archives of the folks you're trying to understand exactly so we have archives from the first nations people here petroglyphs on the rocks we've got stories like, i've done this with my daughter right here i mean we live literally 20 minutes from our nearest town of nelson british columbia and you know i point my laser up at the sky and then something flashes back at us and then you do it again and they flash you back i mean this is this is not a satellite so Let's go to – this is my hypothesis. The, the news came out that the Earth's inner core rotation had shifted dramatically. It was published in Nature on January 23, 2023. Okay, when this this suddenly breaks and it, 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 it's, it's just all of a sudden a huge amount of things start to happen. We, we come to February – just before February 5th, actually, the Chinese balloon incident is right here. It's right here. When was the China balloon incident? I had it up on my on – I think my, it was February um, 4th. Uh, no. Incident is is January 28th to February 4th, right? But that's when it's coming over northern Idaho and into Montana. You've got to think about its path prior to that. Remember, the Earth's rotation – um, adjustment the, of the inner core is published January 23rd. On January 28th, the incident erupts, and then I think it was February 4th, I guess, would be Yeah, but the measurements stopped. in journals are always – they lag by like a minimum six months. So this change in the core, which I think is hyperdimensional, is much, much earlier. So you're opening a window 
where new stuff can occur. Right, because one thing in the Nature article I can't confirm is when did it actually supposedly the dynamo stop or slow down or make this drastic? Well, again, it, it, see, the, these headlines have been totally mis- misleading. It's not that right. the Earth core has stopped. Right, it's it that it, no. Decades ago, it was discovered from seismic, you know, earthquake studies and other seismic events that the core was rotating at a different rate than the mantle and the crust, which is bizarre. Uh, the only right. other situation we have is like Venus. We think the core in Venus is doing the same thing. So, so the, if, hang if on, hang on, hang on, hang okay. on. The, the okay. core was rotating faster. So the new measurements now say it stopped. No, it stopped relative to the rest of the planet. So it's now rotating in sync with the mantle and the crust above it. But that could have huge implications in a hyperdimensional physics model because it changes everything on the surface of the Earth, including consciousness, physical constants, technology, the ability of, of, of Earth strains to be quietly released as opposed to catastrophically, like in Turkey, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So and the magnetic is, field of the Earth. And exactly, exactly. You, 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 the bees started swarming out of the nest, and our satellites noticed all these things moving, and China decides to send a balloon. Here's why I think this, because following the balloon, you have this 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 one coming in just off the coast of Alaska, and then the 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 Yukon, which is of course gold country, and then then there's a we have a clip from that that's all set to play, and this was published just today, and this is in Yellowknife, which is Northwest Territory, so that's that's uh, you know like over Alberta. You know, you're right above Alberta. You're way up there by the Great Bear and the Great Slave Lake, which are the two biggest, you know, one of some of the biggest freshwater lakes on the on the on the entire planet. And again, there's this UFO incident. And if you listen to these pilots, this is not these things. They describe them as dancing. Okay, let and me let me. You want me to yeah. play the UFO? Yeah, yeah let's well, play it because okay. this is part of the story. All right, let's see if I can make this thing work. Well, we're trying to get it to work. You see, you get not. all these guys happening after the balloon. It's as if yeah, the Keith, balloon. I have no idea how to make this thing play. So make the link. Which link? There's a million of them there. Number nine. Just Number nine. Nine. I don't see a nine. In your items. I I did, and then I got CTV News. Yeah, now, that's it. That's it. Now you hit play. And on that little oh, video. Oh, okay. All right. There, there's a video at top. Uh, yeah, and, let me see and if it's I can... just, you'll hear it. Okay, here we go. Uh, well, I don't know what, we're not seeing them on TCAS, but you see the lights moving around. I don't have anything on the radar either. Let me uh, talk to the center. Project 5071, yellow eyes radio. Okay, go ahead. Hey, Center doesn't have anything about any movement in the area, so I'm really wondering what you're seeing there. Yeah, so are we. Have you said they're uh, over your position? No, they're, uh, they're above us. We're in a sensory 12,000 feet. We're 30 miles back from your field over the lake. Yeah. yeah. We're seeing up just to the east of the city. 
hours by maybe 20, 30 miles up there, well above us. We saw them when we were going through 20,000 feet. They looked somewhat parallel for altitude. All right, I'm trying to look. I don't, I don't see them from the ground here. Um, well, I'll keep an eye out. I'll talk with Tenter again. Yeah, no, right, just so we know we're not gonna, they're not a risk to us. So we just saw something different. I just didn't know what it was. If you guys had a tank on radar. No, we got nothing. That's uh, quite strange. Do you guys want an advisory? Yeah, sure. Might as well. We're flying it for the uh, RNAV, uh, visual RNAV runway 34, direct Maybach at this time. Roger, runway 34, wind 290 at 9, altimeter 3022. Hey, this is Victor, report Pop Mouse Final. And uh, let me know if there's any uh, movement with those planes or to get closer or anything. I'll try to figure what's going on. Yeah, so far they're just lights that come in and out, but there's two of them that are moving around. And It's looking about uh, 10 nautical miles directly northwest of the fields, uh, maybe about uh, flight level 270 or so. So you're saying they're about 10 nautical miles northeast or northwest? Northwest of the fields, yeah, 10 to 20 miles ish. Well, uh, I'll let you know, we'll talk to the ground. Sounds good, Eric, uh, 5071. So that's yeah. Is, is that about it? Yeah, that's it. You see what's happening, Richard? China sends this balloon in, which is a huge 200-foot balloon carrying a massive payload of surveillance equipment. They already know where our nuclear missile silos are. This isn't new news, but these guys are new news. And I'm suggesting a hypothesis that when this the, the inner core of the Earth um, shifted. Our magnetic field is affected by that spinning, um, you know, um, core of the of the fluid dynamics of, of the Earth. And so, therefore, because I, these things are clearly operating in some sort of very advanced magnetic type of propulsion that defies gravity, uh, when I study the movements frame by frame of these UAPs, I'm seeing clear magnetic style behavior that that i can i can determine it's it's not some type of massive gravity thrust wave there's no thrust wave evident there's they're behaving in a magnetic kind of manner so would china had sent a balloon to track these guys because more of these uaps come well hang on north. hang on you're on to something because they say they've got 256 satellites from china looking down at us like every day you know, there's right. a huge number right. of, and we've got an equal number or more. Yeah, that's at them. what I'm saying. If they had anti-gravity coming out of some base in China, we would see it. All right, oh, let me let right. me let me finish the thought. Yeah. You cannot do magnet magnetometer measurements unless you're really close to the source of the changing field. A balloon would be ideally suited for measuring changes of magnetic flux in the northern Canada or southern Canada region, as opposed to a satellite, which frankly, given that the mag field goes down as one over R3, we, we found this with measurements of the Mars magnetic field from satellites orbiting Mars. It's very hard to measure a surface field 
from a satellite altitude, even at Mars. So a balloon to measure changes in magnetic flux connected to the changes in the physics, connected to changes in all kinds of terrestrial things up to and including national security concerns would make a great deal of sense. Okay, now the other thing... Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, Barbara. Just hang on oh, just I a second. Sentence here. That, that, that could also very well apply to the other three so-called UAPs because our, at least our government has referred to them as likely scientific mm-hmm. uh, projects. So that could be the scientific project. Yep. Okay. Well, David. look at this. Now, the earthquake in Turkey happens on what's the end of the day on the 5th for us, the 5th, which is right after – Right, the Chinese balloon incident, and and which is not very far after the the report in Nature magazine of the Earth, you know, dynamo, sh- massive shift. So is is there a connection? Because the Turkey earthquake also happens to be very close to Gobekli Tepe. Gobekli Tepe is just to the right and down a bit. And actually, I I sent a slide into the chat that shows that a big T or a J formation where all of the earthquake swarms. Well, wait, you still put up a whole new can. We're going to have to do another show on this. I'm going to, there's a whole new can of worms here. going. Well, let let me, let me tell you, let me tell you the one that immediately, you know, uh, brings my chimes. If Gobekli Tepe is part of an ancient, ancient high tech culture, and there's some kind of technology still in Turkey, and the change in the physics triggered it, and that triggered the earthquakes. In other words, there's a practical reason for thinking that we're not the first, because what ancient may still be able to come and bite us because it's activated by changes we can't even imagine in the background solar system field. Exactly. And look, look at how the Earth there, – there are sections of Turkey where the Earth has opened up a massive chasm. It's almost as if chasm that, – that, that it's trying to reveal more. Oh, that the, olive that orchard that we had aerial images of. It was like somebody had scooped it out with a super excavator. Yeah, that, see, that earthquake – Hang on, Barbara, go ahead. Um, do we know um, – if Gobekli Tepe was negatively affected by the earthquake? Well, it's not just Gobekli Tepe. They're finding sites everywhere. And the earth, the central spine, it's, it forms a giant J or T shape, this huge swarm of earthquakes that's been going on for, you know, since since the first massive quake. And I mapped it. Gobekli Tepe itself is a little ways away, but I guarantee you they felt it like crazy. Now, yeah, my qu- my question was slightly different. Do we know if there was any damage to? Well, again, it's not just Gobekli Tepe. There are several um, interconnected ancient civilization sites, and these sites are older than the Great Pyramid. They're yeah, now but she's asking a very specific question. question. My question Were is, they damaged? The well, I don't. That's a good question. We need to find this out. Okay. We need to see if any more. Um, parts of the earth opened up that revealed more openings to sites. I have a simple question. Do we know if any of the stones of Gobekli Tepe's monuments fell down or were damaged? We don't know that because because getting news out of Turkey right now, the focus is on Okay, we do have a correspondent, Tim Saunders, in Turkey, 
Barbara, yeah. I will put the question to him because it's middle of the day there and I can Skype him after the show and I will have the answer for you before you come back on uh, t tomorrow night to talk about the bean campaign. Okay, yeah, because, let me, let me hey, so David, the, David, the David, other, David, David, please, yeah, sorry, please. Sorry. I need to move to Keith. Keith has an interesting hypothesis. Okay. I want to put him on the air to tell okay. us okay. and then we can come back with you at the end of the show. There's just one more thing I have. This is Kennedy. Okay. Kennedy's Keith, statement. you're on. Okay, uh, I kind of predicted all of this was going to come about, but going back to the same old balloon thing, they're trying to put the genie back in the bottle by coming out with this crap. After I saw that uh, so-called uh, conference that they had, but they, uh, this is ridiculous. How do you have somebody come in that's supposed to be running your 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 computer that's supposed to play back the video of the sighting from a jet fighter and then the guy doesn't know how to put the one of the best programs vlc into single frame mode are you talking you the see. congressional hearing that was yes, a farce the congress yeah congressional yeah. hearings it was a farce it was the dog and pony show nonsense piece it you you can't come into something like that so so disorganized and lacking information uh, when they showed the video of the the orb shooting past the plane he said oh well as far as we know the that could have been sitting still and the plane was going past it no that's not what happened and their video shows that 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 plane was headed in the same direction and that orb shot past them where's the transcript from the pilot and his recollection of what took place why wasn't that there why wasn't that brought forward why didn't the question asked and then when he panned down you see the the side view mirror in the upper left hand corner looking out the right hand side of his cockpit and you see his wingman and he's going in the same direction as he's going that tells you right there obviously he didn't pass that orb the orb passed them like they were standing still oh yeah but yet they're telling people, oh, as far as we know, the, the jet probably passed it and it was just sitting out there. That's not it. Then when it came down to the ship with the, the night vision and they see the triangular craft up in the sky and they're going, oh, this is the iris. This is the iris uh, <laughs> making this pattern. And I'm going, if I was the freaking captain, I would have said, get eyes out there with night vision and verify that this is what we're seeing, that we're recording. Where's the transcripts from that? Somebody had to say, this is what we saw, what was going on. No, they didn't bring it. This was a farce because they were trying to do the old uh, Jedi mind trick. Okay, oh, this thing passed, the jet passed it. It wasn't moving. No, it was. It was going, the jet got passed by it. All of these things are part of another psychological manipulation of the public and they're trying to find out if you're stupid enough to accept what they're telling you and if you do then they know they got you on the hook so what's so, your explanation for the last two weeks the last two weeks those balloons are not china's they're probably ours and it's all part of their pushing this whole thing of balloons and debris and the air and and they're trying to put the genie back in the bottle but they can't do it they're not going to be able to do it it's already out 
So you're saying it was a massive U.S. psyops program? Yes, that's all it is. And the whole China thing and their balloons and they, all of the remember they used they used balloons as a cover for Roswell. <laughs> yes. Yeah, remember, remember eventually the Air Force and their Project Mogul, which never made any sense. It, but this is all we're they're, they're going back to old school. They said well, it worked before. Maybe we can do it again. No, not this time. <laughs> not this time. Okay, is, is that it, Keith? Yes. Excellent. Okay, David. Last item. Okay, the last item was was Senator Kennedy's statement published in Red State, and I'm just going to quote it because I think it's very – This is Senator John Kennedy, Republican from Louisiana, no relation to John Kennedy president, and he made the most incredibly interesting Emily Dickinson-type comments after a private classified Senate briefing on the last two weeks – and I'm really glad you <clears throat> brought this up, David, because frankly, I think that Kennedy is the only one telling us the truth. Exactly. He says, this is quote in Red State, many people intentionally or otherwise have been given the impression that until a couple weeks ago, our skies were clear. And then all of a sudden we have spy balloons and other identified objects raining down on us like confetti, Kennedy said. That's not accurate. He said, these objects have been flying over us for years, many years, he said. He's obviously not talking about balloons. They've known about them, meaning I guess whoever briefed them indicated they knew, but that except for the Chinese spy balloon, they did not know what they were. What's different about the last two weeks is that we started shooting them down, he explained. And then, so, so there he is telling you that these things have been in our skies for years. And he's inadvertently pointing to real UFOs, and then he's going back to this balloon and and shooting them down again i think is dubious at best because i just confirmed the sidewinder um missile is no faster than mach two and a half so that's less than two thousand oh, miles that's creeping an hour. along oh. it's creeping along just like keith just said the, these freaking things are moving i'm also reading reports of military people seeing the actual balloons in the sky but then they see a tic-tac shaped thing that's nearby in a different direction that's you know outperforming everything so the balloons might actually be decoys or are they like i said because if we fought, let's get something this is even more interesting think about the hollow earth theory and the idea that there's an opening in the north pole where are all these things coming from? They're coming from the north, and they're coming from crossing Alaska. They're crossing um, northern Canada in two different locations. And now I just showed you the audio recordings from the airport um, in um, Yellowknife, which is way up there. It's not at the top, but it's you know near the Great uh, uh, Great Slave the, Lake, I believe. The Great Slave Lake region, and 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 there's nobody up there. So when you talk about <laughs> drones the size of a car there's no kid who's got a drone that go, and they show you this balloon that might have been a school experiment that's so freaking tiny and you go how could how could you think this is the size of a car this is just a little freaking you know experimental balloon these are the cover stories which cost 12 bucks which costs 12 bucks. So those are your cover stories, and that they're, they're going to do the same to, thing to us that they did to us with Roswell. They're well, they're trying. They're trying, but I don't think – to me, the most interesting thing that Senator Kennedy, again, Republican from Louisiana, 
He pretends he's an old boy. He's actually a Harvard grad, uh, a, a Rose Scholar. I mean, the guy is brilliant. But he comes off as Mr. Cornpone to appeal to his constituency. The most interesting thing he said after the classified Senate briefing uh, by the DOD on what's been going on, some reporter said, well, what would you recommend, Senator Kennedy? What should the public do? And he said, go home and lock your doors. Whoa. Think about here, what that means in, think about in Emily about. Dickinson's speak. Go home and lock your doors. In other words, he's telling everybody this had nothing to do with balloons or China. It's UFOs. And we shot three of them, or we tried to shoot them down. See, and here he says, allegedly shot down. <laughs> and yeah. that means he doesn't believe, well, you can't shoot these things down with missiles. But if you understand that we have these beam weapons that are instantaneously striking their targets, and it goes way back to the Tesla death ray being taken to Which right would be a great way to take down a big balloon because you basically use it as a, as a flamethrower to carve a huge hole in the balloon. The helium right. leaks out. The balloon descends slowly. You recover everything intact. It doesn't crash. They didn't do that? Why not? So because we're at the top of the hour, if – let's just say that when the Earth's dynamo shifted, UFOs came out of – the inner earth, perhaps, in the North Pole, and then they started coming down over northern Canada. I mean, that's a hypothesis. Again, it's hard to prove, but what we do know is they're all coming from way north, right? And they're coming down, and they're coming down. Some of them crossed the U.S. border, like the one that crossed in the Great Lakes, you know, the, the people, you know, the, the where was the, the third one that was just allegedly shot down? Lake Huron. Lakes. Yeah, Lake Huron. Yeah. So, now we have okay. We have we have less than a minute till the end theme. So yep. let me let me cut it off here. I want to thank my guests, uh, Stephen Bassett, Robert Stanley, Barbara Honiger, David Sarita, and of course our own Keith Morgan. We'll be continuing with this subject in a collateral fashion with the Chinese and the ruins on the moon tomorrow night, and in another week, maybe next weekend, we'll do another one of these. Are they balloons or UFOs? And what have we gotten ourselves embroiled in? And why aren't they telling us the truth? And is this really a kind of a different way of moving in to the next phase of real disclosure by moving the entire subject officially into the White House of the President of the United States? Anyway, we have no answers, but we have an awful lot of good questions and some really great theories. I want to thank all my guests. I want to thank my audience. Pay attention as that old 1950s, you know, uh, movie said, keep watching the skies, keep watching the skies, because anything right now could in fact happen. So until tomorrow night, same bad channel, same time. Remember, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone, and keep looking up.